We are now joined by my dearest friend in the world, Ivy. Thank you very much. He got it right. Ivy. What? What? Did you call me something different earlier? No. He, he <laughs> Don't often. put. How am I already in the doghouse? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> You're I don't in like trouble. how this went at all. Zach, you're in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh my God. that's gotta be the fastest cold open someone's had just walking in. Oh my fucking god. Hello and welcome to Ballot, Season 6, Episode 9. We're here talking about summer movies. Barbenheimer, baby! There were a bunch that came out during July, and then there will never be movies out in the theaters again. Yep, that was it. We, we, we That's a wrap on movies. Yeah, we had a good run. Uh, I'm joined by Nate, as always. Nate, how are you doing? Doing all right would be doing better if there were going to be movies for the next however many months are left in the year, but otherwise good. Yeah, uh, we don't. Uh, we're not really going to touch on the WGA, uh, WGA and SGA strike. Uh, we, we we stand in support, and that's all we need to say. <laughs> we and and just to point out, I I can understand how someone may not be sure based on our union politics across the course of this. Your pod, Harlan but County in USA this, takes. In this case, we are in support of the unions. Um, this episode, we will be joined by some special guests. Uh, Lauren Marcioni will be joining us shortly to discuss Barbie, and Ivy will be joining us to discuss Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and then just you and I will talk about Oppenheimer and uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> and the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> just two men talking about uh, Indiana Jones and Oppenheimer the way the good Lord intended it. Yeah, two equally important men <laughs> in American society. Honestly, one could be more important. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. on yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been so nice to have a genuine reason to go to the, the movies multiple times within the last couple of weeks. And Barbenheimer has obviously been this big cult thing, but it was also just nice to have two movies directed by very fantastic directors with a clear vision of what they want. Uh, come out at the same time, and the counter-programming worked, and it was just nice to have real movies that people wanted to see. Right, you're already starting to see the the crop up of you know studios being like, okay, how do we uh, recreate the Barbenheimer craze? And and I am not looking forward to that at all, mostly because. No. What made that work was the fact that those ended up being two good movies. If mm-hmm. one of those movies sucked, if both of those movies sucked, if it felt like an empty, facile thing, we wouldn't still be talking about it. Or if we did, were, we'd be talking about it in the way we were still talking about Morbius for a while as like this great con that happened, right? Like it's what was so exceptional about the moment was the fact that both movies were great. And that mm-hmm. is what really sold it. And the fact that they are diametrically opposed in so many in, ways is just, way. just perfect. And that's wonderful. This has also been like, I, I know we've talked about this off pod. I think we've probably mentioned it on pod. Pretty thin movie year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some good stuff at the top, but uh, not a lot of depth, especially when you look back on like the last couple of years coming out of the, the summer, sort of yeah. the, the pandemic, and and things really starting to ramp up again. This has been like a surprisingly kind of kind of fallow period. Um, mm-hmm. So it has been really great to have a bunch of good movies and a bunch of movies that are uh, that justify going to the theaters, like you said. So, exactly, yeah. and, and I think that's the big thing is that 
there are a lot of movies that come out during the summer where it's Jurassic Park 7 or mm-hmm. another Fast and Furious movie or um, one of the Marvel movies that come out where, you know, you might be interested, they might be good, but it's part of this multi-phase, you know, years-long commitment that you've had to do. Yes, Indiana Jones and yes, Mission Impossible. <laughs> <are laughs> and parts. two of the movies that- <laughs> Uh, are part of that, but for Barbie and Oppenheimer, they are <laughs> right. new stories that very clearly come from the director and the writer's point of view about the topic, which is right. really great and what we want to both see. Yes, and when you think about the, you know, uh, getting into the sort of broader idea of summer blockbusters, so often the ones that jump out are those ones that were more singular, right? That mm-hmm. had that sort of like flash in the pan type of feeling. Um, or even if they were something that was really built up to over time, um, oftentimes it was a shorter runway to get there. And yep. so I, I, it's, it's yeah, again, it's just been really wonderful to have like a couple sort of novel blockbusters in two very different types um, mm-hmm. that, that could, you know, kind of fill that, fill that role and bring us back to that, that type of place. You didn't do Barbie and Oppenheimer in the same day, correct? I didn't. I, I, I balked at it once I got through the... I, so I, I knew I was going to open with Oppenheimer because I'm not a psychopath. Uh, and did it. And the, the runtime was just long enough that I was like... I had like a two-hour window between that and the next Barbie show time. And it was like, I'm not going to just chill in Springfield, Vermont for two hours and then do this. <laughs> so I You could have seeing, gone to all the place in Springfield, yeah, exactly, Vermont. Yeah, exactly. The grocery store next door. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it, uh, it, I, I ended up spreading it out by about a week. Um, gotcha. So uh, it was a lot of avoiding things on Twitter. But um, again, I, I think just doing it in that order was more helpful because I didn't want Oppenheimer spoiled for me. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to yeah, find you, out how that didn't... turned out. <laughs> you know, that would be a real well, shame. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, I also did not see them at the same time. I was on vacation in uh, Canada, which I can't. So really we're both cowards, about. just to be yeah. clear. That's um, <laughs> this is our last podcast episode. So I had bought a ticket to see Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter IMAX uh, on June eleventh. Uh, that was for a, I believe, Tuesday night showing. Hell yeah! On July twenty seventh. Yep. So. Everything else has been completely sold out if you want to see Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter. And then for Barbie, I managed to sneak a ticket that opening Sunday, like the singular ticket that was available for any of the showings. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was a genuine phenomena. You know, totally. I've never seen the theaters as packed as they were for both of these. And it's been really wonderful. And pretty sustained, too. I mean, like those are mm-hmm. still going strong. It is still like near impossible to get a ticket to Oppenheimer. And Barbie is playing in like every screen possible. So yep. it's like, you know, it, it's been, yeah, it's been awesome. It's made a barbillion dollars, which, yeah. which everyone has said. <laughs> <Boo>. so <far. laughs> um, I'm trying to think back to previous summers uh, post-pandemic. And I know that there were singular events, but I really genuinely was excited for Mission Impossible, Barbie, and Oppenheimer. There were three movies that I was like, I need to see these as fast as I can. For Indiana Jones, I was like, I will see this. It'll be fun. I'll like that. But the other three, I can't remember in such a short time frame 
having that much desire to see something in the theater. Certainly not, yeah, a trio of movies and certainly not for, for summer movies in the same way. Um, I mean, Spider-Verse was up there earlier oh, in yep. the year. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that was a one-off movie, right? And it was, you know... Um, uh, and I, I'm trying, even just like past years, like <laughs> when I think of summer movies over the past couple of years, I think of like The Green Knight, <laughs> you know, like that's, oh, yeah. that's not exactly like a uh, a summer blockbuster. Oh, what was, oh God, there was one I was thinking about for last year that was just like, this came out in the summer? That I, oh, what was, what was it? I, I mean, we're, we're going to talk in circles before then, but like. You know, Asteroid City had come out in theaters, which I was excited for, but it's not a big movie by any means. Um, None of the other movies that I've really enjoyed have been big. You know, showing up is is not the biggest movie in the world. (laughs) Blockbuster sensation. Oh, Top Gun. Top Gun was the the, the one last year. Yeah, Yeah. so again, totally big was a one-off, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That was not, you know, it, it wasn't, not that it was a one-off, it's a sequel, obviously. It was a one-off in the sense that there weren't a bunch of movies stacked up around that point in time. Because um, what else was that? Uh, like, I feel like that year totally picked up in the fall. Um, yeah. The, yeah, last year was um, fall really, really sped. Yeah. So. And then, I don't, I mean, I just, it's been nice having things to be excited to go to the movies for. And I am just not looking forward to this this dirge until what killers of the flower moon and then maybe yeah some the stuff that's on uh, like like i think we're probably gonna get the, the killer a lot of the stuff that's already that's like made by streamers will probably still come out i think a lot of those are not gonna necessarily get pushed in the same way um but but yeah it's we're i mean i'm waiting on the dune announcement uh, yeah I, I don't that's think that's gonna bumped. move oh you don't I, think i so? don't i don't think so i think because it is so dependent on imax screens Oh, and they know point. they have that's the window point. for it. They'll probably keep that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good uh, point. Hopefully, but yeah, these are these are the last movies for for a little bit, um, barring yeah. a deal getting struck. But I mean, I, I liked them. They're good movies. It was great. Yeah. So, uh, did you see all of them in Springfield? No, I saw one in New Hampshire. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was late to Indiana Jones, so I got it at the last available screen. Yeah. Yeah, you having to drive out of state to go see a movie, and I'm like, ugh, this one of nine <laughs> AMCs in Manhattan doesn't have a showtime at the right time. The I six was packed to- on the way down. Yeah. I was able to see... Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible in the less good IMAX screen. Nice. And then Oppenheimer in the good IMAX screen. Cool. That's that seems so. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm a spoiled New York City yeah, movie sure elitist. Are. Yep. Yeah. It's it's not great. <laughs> uh, it, I, I, I'm too addicted to it. Um, should we move into into Barbie? You're yeah. Talking about let's the first do movie. It. All right, and. Uh, we're going to have Lauren Marchioni join us, uh, who is so prepared for this. I'm, I'm very excited. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for joining us for this conversation about Barbie. I wouldn't uh, know anyone else to turn to to talk about this movie. Hi, Barbies. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so this movie was fantastic, and so I can't good. believe it exists. All right, thank God. I don't have to. How stressed were you? (laughs) 
How stressed were you coming into this? Like, I the trailers came out. They were weird as hell. They had 2001 A Space Odyssey as the initial, like, opening to it. And at that point, I was like, okay, we're in good, weird hands with this. And then it lived up to it, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. I had the utmost faith in Margot and Greta, and they delivered. Yeah, because yeah. they, were, they were the real stewards for the whole thing. They were the ones championing it, you know, from inception. Right, it was, what, written by Greta and Noah. Um, mm-hmm. our, no, our friends. Friend. Yeah, our, our, our close personal friends, Greta and Noah. Um, and then Margot signed on, and then Margot's the one who got, like, who, who maneuvered it so that Greta could direct, because, mm-hmm. uh, like, that was not a, a guaranteed thing. Um, and that, I mean, that's how we ended up with this movie. There is a version of this movie that does not work out this well. And we've seen lots of movies that probably have a great script that then get mangled when they, you know, get mm-hmm. like, studioized down. Um, and this did not have that. And that no, you, you, you can feel a little studio, but you can feel a lot of Greta. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are specific moments that I want to highlight for good where you can definitely feel like, you know, there's a specific moment at a park bench where it's like, oh, this is Greta Gerwig <laughs> fighting for... Yeah. humanity in this toy movie, and I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah. Um, do we need to do, like, a plot rundown? I don't know how how necessary that is for, for a Barbie <laughs> movie. Uh, but the the general idea, Margot Robbie is Barbie, stereotypical Barbie. Stereotypical Barbie. Ryan Gosling is Ken. They live in idyllic Barbie land. Until uh, stereotypical Barbie notices that some things are going awry and she has thoughts of death that we all do and has to visit the real world to figure out who she is, what's her place and what is what is her part in this world. Uh, Lauren, what were your just like overall thoughts for the movie? I loved it immediately. I've seen it twice. Um it exceeded every expectation that I had. I knew that, so I should start by saying that I, I'm i a Barbie collector. My mom mm-hmm. has all my Barbies. Like, I loved Barbie growing up. My mom loved Barbie when she was little, so I had some of her old Barbies. So I've mm-hmm. been so excited for this movie, and I was really glad when I saw that they were taking it in the direction, the kind of odd or Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. yeah. direction that they did, because um, I think it makes sense. Um, but it exceeded every expectation. I've cried, multi- like, both times I saw it, I cried, like, four different times. Um, mm. I love all of the fanfare that has gone along with it everyone wearing pink to the theaters like it's- the marketing campaign has been immaculate truly yeah brilliant stuff the the, the last gasp of twitter yeah. <laughs> has your mom seen it yet my mom has not seen it yet but she it's like even all of the marketing has seeped into her world because she's watched like the hgtv build a barbie dream house show <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that our, our friend Gabe drove by the Barbie dream house in Malibu that was Unreal, put up. Yeah. Like they have they have put in all the stops. Um so Nate, I know that you 
You like Noah Baumbach's work and Greta Gerwig's work. I don't know if you are in love with it. So were you a little more trepidatious about this? Because uh, yeah, I I don't know that. I I think or is that, that too I was, strong of a too no, strong. No, no, no. I think you're on the right track. I I think I think for me, I'm a little bit skeptical of the hype around some of their projects. I think the like the my favorite Greta Gerwig is is Little Woman. I think that that mm-hmm. movie is incredible. And I'm really into Greta as a director and writer. And I'm like lower on Lady Bird than a lot of people. So I think when there's like a lot of hype around uh, a project, more by Noah than by by Greta, to be fair. But uh, when when there's a lot of hype around them, I tend to be a little bit anxious going in. Um, I also thought that this was spectacular and so funny and so... um, uh, really just like navigated that sort of tightrope walk of um, being incisive in the ways that needed to be incisive, being hilarious in the ways that it needed to be hilarious, um, being really heartfelt at, at, at moments and, and open-hearted in a way that I think um, can easily feel manufactured and they managed to kind of break through some of that and make you actually feel emotions about um, stuff that, that, in another person's hands might have felt too saccharine. I think you mentioned that park mm-hmm. bench scene like that. I was choked up during that scene. Um, if you haven't seen Barbie yet, I don't we're, we're going to spoil. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, gonna. yeah, we're going to talk about Barbie. There's a, the, a, the, the sequence where she's on the park bench that, that totally. It's when she first enters the real world. She has the interaction. Right. And she and Ken and split up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and there's something about the way that, um, Greta manages to navigate like um, there's just something about like the tenderness in those moments. And, and I think a lot of this is due to Margot Robbie's performance as well, but Mm -hmm. just like so much of that emotion is transmitted in a way that feels authentic, that feels like fully lived in and really brings you into the sadness of, you know, experiencing life in all of its different facets and growing older and death and all those things mm-hmm. um, in a way that if you try and overwrite it, it doesn't really work. And if you try and um, force it down people's throats, it doesn't really work. And they just knew how to be quiet and put those moments out there. And it, I, yeah, it was really great. And then it fucking obliterated. Like I got curb stomped 19 different times about like Matchbox 20 and Duolingo <laughs> and uh, th- th- watching Stephen the- Malcolmus versus <laughs> Lou Reed. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Like uh, watching the God father at people and you know yeah it, it's yeah it's brilliant it, it, it's an it's a comedy too you know oh. like this is just a straight up studio comedy that made a billion dollars at the box office which is wonderful to see mm-hmm. and i think margot robbie's performance is like unbelievably good because she has to play this wonder and amazement at discover in discovery for a lot of it, where if you look at Greta Gerwig's last like main works, Lady Bird and Little Women, Joe and Lady Bird are like very like opinionated, strong-minded leads, and in this, it's kind of the opposite, where Margot Robbie has to be like a sponge to everything that's coming around her and react to it rather than the others where they are being more forceful. And I was just incredibly impressed by what she was able to do in this and, and show the emotion that she was able to show as a, as a doll, you know, which is, you know, the big picture of it. Um, I thought she was fantastic. She has so much warmth though, even 
you know, before she goes into the real world when she just is Barbie, like mm-hmm. the one scene where Ken gets hurt and he's in the ambulance, which the fold out ambulance is one of my yeah. favorite <laughs> parts of the set design. But, um, and the way Margot says, you're very brave. Like the way she says yeah. it to him is just so warm that you're like, oh yeah. yeah, like of course he is just living every day for Barbie to look at him. Like she's mm-hmm. amazing. But I also like that when she is in the real world, she's not playing it as like doe-eyed and like mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Like even when her and Ken are communicating about like how like they're kind of narrating for each other, like what it feels like being in the real world. And he's mm-hmm. like, there's no violence. And she goes, there's very much a tinge of violence. For <laughs> like she's not, you know. Like, doe-eyed is the only way I can think of it. But, like, she doesn't have that. It's, like, she's taking it all in, and, like, she gets what's going on and realizes it's not great. (laughs) She's she's not, like, helpless and dull, which it feels like some of these protagonists that go into, like, a new situation. She does still feel like a real person that is genuinely experiencing these things. The Dorothy comparison of, like, Dorothy Mm -hmm. is so wide-eyed and... Um, there's not that element of it. Yeah. I thought that the the opening through her first experiencing the real world was like like 10 out of 10, like no notes, picture perfect. And then when Ken experiences the real world and it's like scenes of Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton <laughs> in, in Century City, Los Angeles. So La- funny. Los Angeles is... So good. I was absolutely dying at like the businessmen turning the away from, yeah. from the woman. He's like, hell yeah. <laughs> and his obsession with horses. The I horses. Mean, it was so good. It was like Ryan Gosling has been a comedic actor before. So we all knew that he was, you know, he had this in him. But he was really like spectacular because he's just given room to cook in every single one of these scenes. Yeah. He, I I think in the way that Margot has to, um, toe that really fine line in terms of like managing her physicality in this way that she feels a little bit unreal, but she's recognizable enough. And same with her emotions where she has to be like a little bit sort of, there there needs to be a, a, like a sheen of it being artificial, but also she needs to be really human and accessible. He's just a character. He gets to just be dialed up. And that's, that's the thing we always see with supporting characters, right? That's why you always Mm -hmm. get a sort of celebrated supporting role. Um, This is just one that like, so perfectly suits him, and he seems to have glommed onto so much, which is such an awesome thing. Like, it's always fun when you see a character, like an actor, feel this attached to their part. And the fact that for mm-hmm. him it's Ken is incredible because it is just this like absolute idiot, pretty boy thing that uh, he really nails, and I think leans into a lot of the the like early tropes that existed about him, but also gets lets him really flex some of his actual acting muscles in order to be that crazy. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, a really perfect pairing, but he can't pull off what he does without her being that sort of like grounding center the whole time. Um, so, yeah. I saw um, a TikTok uh, where someone was talking about, or this girl brought up the point that Margot Robbie has kind of been cast by men in a like living doll type character in movies mm-hmm. for men. Um, yeah, totally. 
which I thought was really interesting. And so <clears> focus. <laughs> like the authority that she had in this movie being produced and owning that character and making that character what it is, something that like is relatable and endearing and has that heart. Um, yeah, it's a big fuck you to uh, Leo and the Wolf of Wall Street. And <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. All the incels that lovers Harley Quinn. Oh, God. Those weirdos. <laughs> I mean, and then there's just a, a murderer's row of supporting characters, you know. We have Kate McKinnon, Issa Rae, Emmy Mackey, Hari Neff. Kate McKinnon in the 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 whole weird Barbie bit. The Wesleyan like Barbie. One of the funniest, <laughs> that whole sequence where you see how she's getting made. Yeah. Just like the most incredible. I, it's such a brilliant bit. It was, yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And then, I mean, for Ken's, I thought Simu Liu was quite good as the, like, you know, other main Ken. You know, Kinsley Benadir, uh, King, uh, Kingsley Benadir and <laughs> as, like, the John Cena Ken. Yeah. Yeah. shows oh, yeah. up for a little bit as Merman Ken with Dua Lipa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and then um, the there's the two main human characters are America Ferreira and Will Ferrell. Uh, America Ferrera is kind of like the secret heart of this movie as the mother of a, what, 15, 16-year-old daughter who is kind of casting off Barbie as an importance and her trying to reconnect with her through playing with Barbie again. What do you think of America Ferrera's character, Lauren? Like, did um, did that plot line work for you? I, so to be honest, I haven't always loved America Ferrera. she kind of gives like it's kind of cringe sometimes her performances and when I started to see things about like her being the catalyst and kind of making Mm -hmm. this big feminist speech I was like but I actually thought it came off as I didn't mind that part I really loved it I thought it came off as very genuine I love the realization that like it's her character, Gloria, that's been playing with Barbie mm-hmm. and is giving her all these horrible, depressive thoughts. <laughs> um, and I think that is such a real thing. Like, you know, going back to the nostalgia, you know, when yeah. things get difficult. And so I liked that plot device. That didn't, I didn't have a problem with that. I think it was uh, the ghost of Ruth Handler that maybe was a little more tough for me, but... <laughs> The uh, the tax evasion ghost of the, <laughs> the creator tax evasion of bit, yeah yeah I I felt like I I I feel similarly in the sense that I I also have been pretty mixed on a lot of her stuff in the past and I think that I liked her performance and I liked the idea of the plot better than I liked the execution of her plot like I I yes. loved that that reveal that it was actually her playing with the doll but I felt like that reveal happened like. 30 seconds after the initial flash flashes of that. There was just like, it's not some supposed of that to be a mystery, a bit, you know, exactly. But it was the way that it was done. Just felt a little bit like, and we got to do this now. Um, and that was probably the only section of the movie that I, I kind of fell out of a little bit. Um, but yeah, I felt like was the, she was great in that role. Exactly. Um, the Will Ferrell part is fine. Oh yeah. And that's sorry. That that's all bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the Will Ferrell shit was whatever. Uh, you have to have that to like move the plot along, but it it's, he he is good as that character. I don't know if that needed to be here, but 
those 15 minutes or whatever when there's a car the commercial scene in the, yeah. uh, with Charlie XCX playing. It's <laughs> whatever. We can, we can just skip over that um, and just go to depressed Barbie watching uh, BBC's Pride and Prejudice. That uh, I – so I, I saw this in, uh, in ScreenZilla format, which is the premium uh, screen <clears throat> format in, in Springfield, Vermont – um, with I think probably eight other people in the room, and we were all like grouped right in the center of the theater, all sitting together. And the fucking howls at that sequence, like the, <laughs> the there were a couple moments in that that just like exploded the room. Yep. and that was one of them. The Pride and Prejudice cut was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It was so good. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think like if you do. I, I mean, I guess you do need the Mattel piece there and I'm sure you know Greta and writing this and trying to get Mattel on board she probably needed the Mattel storyline but like I liked the real time of you know depressive Barbie and and then later on the Mojo Dojo Casa houses selling Mm -hmm. um that was incredible yeah but it was a little bit like you know when they're cutting between storylines like let's be real you just want to stay in Barbie land and when yeah, you cut to right. the Mattel execs you know taking the trip to Barbie land I was kind of like okay I don't I don't need to see them anymore I just want to yeah. be with Barbie I will say the the journey the the sequence and the Beautiful. car radio bit is like consistently one of the funniest jokes in this movie just like every time I was doing the Indigo Girls thing for a couple times and then it does mm-hmm. the and then when it does the first Matchbox 20 reveal I just unbelievable really really incredible plot device Yeah to go back to America Ferrera for a second when she has her main speech I I could hear Greta Gerwig in that like that is so clearly her dialogue, her cadence. You can hear Saoirse Ronan yeah. delivering yeah, yeah, yeah. that speech. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that is what made me like it. It's like, oh, yeah, you can hear Greta coming through every single part of this. Yeah. Um, and then I thought the end was, like, pretty great. The Ken fight is really funny with the song. Um, I thought the Billie Eilish song really worked at the end. Um, and the music throughout, especially, you know, not the best time to bring Lizzo up, but I thought <laughs> the <laughs> I was actually, I, I, I was even prior to that, I was not as big on the Lizzo songs. I thought that those were a little bit of a weak spot. But otherwise, yeah. It, and and contextually, I'm on the right side of history now. So, ha ha. <laughs> but yeah. You don't um, get to say that after it happens. <laughs> you can't just be like, oh, by the way, I thought. <laughs> we should have recorded earlier. I could have gotten to it. God damn it. <laughs> um. Also, by far the hardest I laughed during this movie was when she gets called a fascist and goes, but I don't control the railways. <laughs> and I, I I was not expecting that at all, and it made me crack up so hard. That was, I, I actually, I, I think this is going a little bit back to, like, the approach to Barbie. Like, the fact that they didn't, the presentation of Barbie was not dumb, she was literal in that way, right? Like it was a, it was a, like she didn't understand human conventions. So she Mm -hmm. didn't understand that that was a like turn of phrase, but it wasn't like she didn't know the term fascist or something like that. And, and a worse movie does it that way. A worse movie is like, this person is an idiot and has to like learn Mm -hmm. how to be human. And she was just uh, understood everything on a very sort of like functional level. Yeah, totally. Um, should we, should we talk about Alan? Did you know that all his all Ken's clothes fit him? 
I love Alan. I love Michael Sarah's Alan. It it felt like every time it went to him, there was kind of like the record scratch where you know he was clearly like <laughs> standing off to the side at all times. You know, um, he's the, the only the one that can hear the narrator. The, the, He's the only yeah, one, apparently, I mean, Ken couldn't fight to defend Barbie, but Alan's ready to go. Alan chokes some fuckers out. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, so that's what, that's Michael Sarah's second fight scene ever, right? If it's after Scott Pilgrim. This is like mm-hmm. the second movie he's maybe had, had an action sequence in. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. He's great. He kept up his chops. Um, the, I mean, he has to do it before the Kens figure out how to make the wall wide yeah, as well as tall. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. The shot of him. He, he also, I mean, he's another one who just like the, the uh, again, I feel like Michael Sarah from the beginning of his career has always had that, like, you know, this is the one thing he can do, and he doesn't really get yeah. enough credit for the nuance in his character. And, like, the little facial expressions he does, like the, the mm. shot that cuts to him that I think they showed in the trailer when they're doing the, the beat you off choke, and yeah. it just cuts to his face, and he's just, like, got this, like, insane expression. It's so good. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's fantastic. Um Lauren, should we give you like 25 minutes to talk about the production and costume design for this movie? That should I can be able to hit all the high points in that amount of time. Uh, okay. <laughs> it was everything was so I mean there's so like there's so many things now about all the little easter eggs, but I mean they're not necessarily easter eggs, but just all the homage that's paid to Barbie mm-hmm. that you pick up on if you played with Barbies um, or were around Barbie is like the way her hairbrush looks like a real Barbie hairbrush. The proportions mm-hmm. of everything being not A little right. small. Yeah. Or, t- yeah, like her car is too small, but like her hairbrush is too big and mm-hmm. <laughs> all that stuff. That uh, water doesn't exist in Barbie land. So she has so slide into a pool that she just walks across. Mm-hmm. The fact that they, you know that Barbie can float down because that's how you really play with Barbie. Like, yeah, oh, everything was so perfect. I liked her in her car waving with both arms the whole time that she's driving <laughs> along. Uh, weird Barbie's house. I love because it so does. Good. It's yeah. Everything. I mean, again, like that's why for certain parts when you're in the real world, I was kind of like, okay, just get us back to Barbie land. Cause I know there's mm-hmm. so much that we missed. Get it's, us out of Century City, <laughs> Los, right. Los Angeles. Which I will. I think. I think when it was a specific thing like that, where it was supposed to demonstrate, like you're you are in a place that is visually significant in a terrible way, but is like mm-hmm. it is serving a purpose. I think it worked better when it was just the real world, like when it was high school or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. You've set such a high bar yeah. right out the gate, and you know you're ending up back there. So it's just kind of disappointing. And like yeah. the the their costumes were still great when they were wearing those, you know, the the beach costumes and whatever. Mm-hmm. But it just yeah, it's 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 really like you're kind of aching to get back to Barbie Land because it is mm-hmm. so visually brilliant. Yeah, the yeah. costumes all being either directly lifted from actual Barbie outfits or, you know, very clear homages to Barbie outfits where you know, you can see Skipper in a background or, you know, all the outfits that Ken, like, throws out the window after he's taken over Barbie's house. Mm-hmm. The yeah. way they flash, like, a commercial, but it's like, oh, no, I remember wanting 
those and like you know circling that in a Toys R Us ad um Jacqueline Duran, who did costumes for Little Women, did costumes for this. Um, mm-hmm. Same, sim- similar, real, real crossover. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she could just carry some things over. Yeah, but I love. I mean, you know, Greta. I in an interview was saying how like she must have. She was nervous, like make that call and ask her to do it because it's such a big ask. But I think, I mean, everything was perfect. I love. Um, I don't, and I feels dumb saying like that this might have not been intentional I'm sure it was because everything was so intentional but uh when you know Barbie starts feeling like something's off she's in blue every time they show her she's not in pink anymore and then Mm -hmm. when she returns to Barbie land um with Gloria and her daughter her outfit is like a blue and pink gingham so kind of like her gingham from the first outfit but Mm -hmm. infiltrated by the blue and something still not quite right like all the little touches like that that you know you picked up on and then kind of were confirmed when I saw it again it's just so good so on the on the rewatch I'm assuming it just rewards even more because there are I'm assuming there are so many jokes that I missed the first time that really popped I mean my dad saw it with my mom and he's like I'd go again so <laughs> Randy's ready to go back and, and go see Randy. round two. Yeah. I think the the last thing I, I really wanted to touch on is that I how did she get approval for that final line? <laughs> how did how did Greta <laughs> let uh get that? Because I need to know, because it's incredible that she was able to pull that off. Yeah, that's I mean I, I think I, she probably just they showed projections to Mattel about how much money this was going to make in perpetuity, and, <laughs> and she could kind of get carte blanche. But yeah, it's I mean it's a it's a perfect ending. It, it just mm-hmm. it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I think for a movie that you know shows that kind of misogyny is what uh, starts to wake little girls up and make you mm-hmm. feel like a woman that you know, for Barbie's kind of first real experience that we see as a human in the real world to be that she has to go to the gynecologist is one of those, like, horrible, no one wants Mm -hmm. to do it, but it's a milestone, but, like, you can't talk about it to anyone. Like, it just sums everything up and is such a way to, like, you know, wrap up what's happened to Barbie and tell us where she is as a character now. But also like for every woman that was in the audience, it was just like one final moment to like clap Mm -hmm. and be like, yep, that (laughs) mic drop. (laughs) She got it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she nailed that side of the ending. And then for Ken, I mean, the whole thing for Ken is just like, he's not a real person at the beginning of the movie and he's only following what he's like viewed things as. And for his final thing to be, you can be an individual. You're not tied to me. Make your own decisions and personality and everything is, you know, a a great place to leave that character, too. I mean, I thought the ending was pretty, pretty airtight. I thought it was a good ending for him, and I'm also glad that they didn't belabor it more. Than, like they didn't, no. they didn't need a like. And here's Ken's real sort of like culminating. Mo- it was just like, yeah, yeah, okay, we, yeah, he got an ending. It's fine, and we keep it moving. And like once that, horses I, weren't involved in yeah, the patriarchy right, exactly. anymore. 
I just I thought that I, th- this movie always knew that it wasn't about Ken, and I appreciated that. Despite, totally. I think a lot of people trying to make it that way. Um, I yeah I I think that it was good that he got the supporting character wrap up, and that was it. Yeah. Um, also, his speaking of costume designs, his fucking costume when he goes full Mojo Dojo with the fanny pack with the Metallica—it's just like that's that's really some top with, with the faux fur with the horse print on the inside. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's the also the production design in that where he has like a horse lamp in his in his house. I think he has a horse book. I mean, it's it's so good. Yeah. And then Nate, you got to be honest with us. Have you ever sang push at someone? No, I've never sang push at someone. I did, however, very recently we were brainstorming um, covers for uh, a, a band that I'm in, uh, and I definitely suggested a couple Matchbox 20 songs. I didn't suggest push, <laughs> but I did suggest a couple others, and I was really glad when I saw this that I hadn't suggested push. Um, it's, I mean, that is that's a perfect joke. That is a like a ten out of ten. Just fucking nailed it. Um, is there a better song than Push for that? No. I, I was think I, I, it's probably a Sublime song, maybe. Like you could, you know, like uh, but but I think that one uh, I think that's probably like here's what I'd say. I think that there are a more accurate depiction of that is if he was singing the general, right? Mm-hmm. Like if he's singing yeah. the general at someone on like a college camp, like that is that's the song that I mean, was that one, song. Wonderwall but is the Wonderwall would be the other one. Yeah. Um However, this was perfect in its, its, it's form it's and function. It's the content, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's it's just narrow enough that it really, when it, it if it gets you, it really gets you. Which is true about all those. Jo- every one of those, the way that they deployed every one of those bits when they were doing the sort of rundown of how they were fucking with all the Kens, mm-hmm. and the way in which, and I I do wonder, I would be really interested what the breakdown was in terms of. Things that Greta came up with that she's experienced from guys versus things that Noah was reflective about yeah. about <laughs> himself and like what the what the yeah. breakdown was in terms of those bits, but just thing after thing, so on the nose about mansplaining and about the, mm-hmm. the way in which people function. I, I just like I, yeah, I thought it was incredible. And then you have the ones that like aren't exactly that, but the I, the the hardest I laughed in the entire movie was the Duolingo joke, and I almost curled up in a ball like it it was just the most direct hit on me ever really really just yeah incredible stuff Issa Rae needs an Oscar for how she pronounces Godfather Godfather? in this movie (laughs) it's absolutely amazing yeah Um, shout out to the entire cast of Sex Education being in this movie and being (laughs) wonderful that was great I really loved that yeah are there any American actors in this other than Kate McKinnon and uh, Michael Sarah? Uh, Helen Mirren, I think, is uh, <laughs> right. She. Oh, the fourth wall break. God. Oh, the 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 Marga. Yes. When Helen Mirren pops in, is like Margot Robbie is the wrong actress to cast if you're trying to make, <laughs> this, make point. this point. I stuff like that. I just feel like it makes the movie so much less timeless. Like I can mm-hmm. see people watching this and talking about it for so long and it being one of those like cult classics kind of thing. But mm-hmm. stuff like that, I'm always just like, ooh, like how many times can you hear that joke before you're just like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Matchbox 20, which will last forever. So that yeah. joke will always be relevant. 
Yeah, in perpetuity. Oh I think one of the Kens is playing the drums on the beach <laughs> yeah. during that scene. <laughs> Coming up! <laughs> Nate, is that you? Would you play the drums? And sing push yeah. at Ivy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's our that's our weekly weekly activity. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. There's not that um, much to do in Vermont, so it's like yeah. that or go to the movies. <laughs> um, Lauren, did you buy any of the merchandise associated with this movie? I did buy Alamo um, had a lunchbox and matching thermos that you could get when you bought your tickets, which I do. Amazing now own um i really would like to get my hands on one of the bargo barbies in the mm-hmm. pinkingham dress um, but that's it so far but now i can when i go to my job at computer i can bring my barbie lunchbox <laughs> so yeah nate's job is music so <laughs> and then nate are you gonna get a i am kenuff uh Sweater. Yeah, I was considering getting one of the the one of those. Uh, they they made this sweater, but with uh, Kendall Roy <laughs> picture on it. <laughs> I think that's a good a good synthesis of the two ends of the continuum on that one. So this movie might well, this movie will win at least one or two Oscars. Definitely um, should win more. Will do you think Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling will be nominated? I don't know that we are. I don't feel safe enough with the possibility that it won't be Ryan Gosling getting nominated and not Margot. Like, I, that still feels like a real possibility in this mm-hmm. academy, and that's going to suck. Um, I would love it if they both got nominated. I'd love it if just she got nominated. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see. I hope Greta. I, I would assume Greta gets nominated. That would be shocking if she for doesn't. screenplay. I was going to say for director. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, depends on what what else comes out. Yeah, you know. and then I don't think this is a best picture lock yet, but I think it it is likely with ten. And oh, to the get fact nominated? that there are yeah. Oh, yeah. the fact that there are no other movies coming out this year. Right. I think <laughs> I think it's a distinct possibility. Yeah. yeah. I mean Margot sure. has a pretty good chance if no other films come out and she doesn't have to compete with Zendaya and Oh yeah. Right. True. I mean, I think the only the only lead performance I can think of so far is Greta Lee in Past Lives. Right. But other than that, not not been a lot of strong Oscar movies so far. So we we shall see. Not ones that have a, a better chance, right? No. Like you know, I, I think you're looking at like Spider Verse and stuff like that, which is going to be the exact same mm-hmm. issue in terms of its its likelihood of of being considered. Um, and there were no women in Oppenheimer, so that's not a problem. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no there really... there are there there is woman. Sorry, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a thin. I mean, I guess Julianne Moore and sharper. Like, is that what we're looking at at this point? Uh, <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence own. and no no hard feelings. Oh yeah, yeah. I cool. actually thought she was quite good, but I still need to see that. Um, Lauren, <laughs> do you have any any final thoughts on Barbie? Um, well, I did want to ask. You too. Do you think there are people that could have played Barbie and Ken other than Margot? 
and Ryan Gosling? Ooh. I, I think no to Barbie. Yeah. Um, it is like really hard to think of someone who has her star power who is also like physically able to do what she's doing who is also as good an actor as she is. You know what I mean? Like that that combination I think is so unbelievably rare. Mm-hmm. I think like maybe 10 years ago Charlize could have done it. Yep. Um I yeah, I don't think anyone right now could have I'm trying to think of another Ken. I feel like um like 10 years ago Owen Wilson could have been pretty funny. Yeah, he just doesn't have the look in no. the same way, right? He needs to be like a little bit more um yeah, I, like Hemsworth maybe could pull it off, um but he's maybe too bulky. I don't know. Yeah, cuz cuz Gosling is cut, but he's not like superhero cut like we right. have now where they don't look like real humans, which is always an issue. No, I I don't I definitely don't think that anyone but Margot Robbie could have pulled this off the way that she did. And I mean, it's her production company that was that set it up too. So, I mean, she she really pulled this off. I, I, I'm trying to think of there was the Amy Schumer uh, Barbie that was apparently in production that did not move forward, and I am I am quite happy that this is the version that we got. I'll I'll put it that way. Yeah, and I think the other rumor was that Anne Hathaway before it was this version. She would be good. I think she'd be quite good. Yeah, there's. I, I feel like her energy is just like a very different thing. Yeah. Um, I really like her, and I I don't know that I needed theater kid Barbie, and I feel like that's what that would have been in a way mm-hmm. that it just like it wouldn't have. I don't know. Ben Platt as Ken. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's <laughs> my worst nightmare. Yeah, I. I don't know. Who, all right, if if you had if you were able to cast one more additional Ken or additional Barbie currently, who would you add in? Well, I think for as many people as Margot Robbie looks similar to, like I think to not have, you know, Jamie Presley and mm-hmm. um the Samira uh, a weaving? Oh, yes. Samira, Samara to not weaving, yeah. have like all of them in there because that just, it's been such a long running joke that it would have been so good to have all of them. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that didn't happen, to be honest. I can't think of an exact role, but I would have loved to see John Hamm in here somewhere. He would have been great. He, he plays yeah. a hot idiot so well. He could have been yeah. Sugar Daddy Ken. Just oh, Sugar Daddy Sugar Ken Daddy or Ken. Magic Earring Ken? Yeah. <laughs> There is an actual Ken doll because I had the realization that a lot of people who played with Barbies are not having that. Like, I know I had Kens, but I also do not remember playing with them or Mm -hmm. caring about them. Which, again, I think is the construction of this movie, which is brilliant. Like, I I think it really works that way where he's there, it's great, and then bye. Yeah. But. uh, There was one Ken doll that I've since remembered having, and he had like. A fake beard, like a painted on beard, and then he could he came with like a fake same razor. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't come with that. that. That's not a that's not on my model. But you could like take warm water and like. That was like it would. Oh my god! I knew that. I have definitely seen that before. Yeah. That 
Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> and so I do, it would have been the way, it would have been nice if there were some more like recognizable dolls that just kind yeah. of appear, which we did get. I assume we'll get it in Barbie 2 and Barbie 3 when they inevitably come out. I really don't want Barbie 2. I don't either. Yeah. I, and and to be fair, they don't have the contracts for it yet, which mm-hmm. is great. Good. Because um, now, cause now be... if they do... Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig are getting $7 billion. It's going to be just take the gross from this movie and immediately yeah. put it right back yeah. into them, which you should. Um, I, I'm going to be shocked if it doesn't happen. I am nervous about that. But if it's the, the same team again, like, could be cool. Yeah. I, I can't imagine it'll be terrible. But yeah, I think this would be fine. It's just like its own thing. Yeah, I just don't know what story you tell next, and I'm not interested in the story of Barbie in the real world. In the real world. No, definitely not. That film was already made. It's called Life Size. It features Tyra Banks and Lindsay Lohan, and you should both go watch it. I'm happy to come back and discuss that one. Great. Uh, We actually had that on our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie fucking ruled. I'm so happy that this movie was a success. And was as good as it looked. And we didn't even talk about the fact that this movie, this children's toy movie, opens with a five-minute montage of 2001, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> and that that's the first thing you see when this movie starts. It's, it's unreal. Greta Gerwig for president. Do you think this movie is for kids? It's not for kids, but kids can enjoy it. It's for it's for you. It is for specifically you. <laughs> I, I think of it as almost like the inverse of a Pixar movie in the way that it like yeah it it has the um, the surface level appeal that like you could take a kid to it and it'd be fine and that'd be you know, like like the beat you off joke is going to go over their head um, unless they're very I don't know that. Yeah. Perverse. <laughs> yeah, right. like, I don't know how the internet works now for kids. But uh, but it's the, the point of this movie is very clearly for, for adults or you yeah. know, people. You know, like it's, it's, there's a lot more going on that I don't think you'd be able to really access without having experienced more of it or having seen more of it or having been complicit in more of it. So, you know, um, kids need more time to build up their Matchbox 20 addiction. You know? Yeah, I mean... Can we have what closer uh, play on the way out? Is is that is that the send-off <laughs> if you think music? I'm not working in a Matchbox Twenty song as <laughs> the closer? You're out of your mind. Amazing, um, Lauren. Thank you for joining. Thank you. And then I uh, I'm very excited for you to come back when Barbie Two eventually does happen, or whatever and Margot Robbie's next film is, since apparently that's yeah. my. Oh, you can come back for the pod. Amsterdam uh, pod <laughs> that we're doing. Does it count as a rewatchable if nobody watched it the first time? Yeah, it's that and Babylon together that we're recording. So I think Taylor has a cameo in Amsterdam too. So perfect. Oh, oh she does. <laughs> why, why do I know that? Anyway, <laughs> I watched too many things. Thank you, Lauren, for joining. This has been great. Thank you. So in the other half of Barbenheimer, we have Oppenheimer, a three-hour biopic of a scientist that has made $600 million worldwide. Boy, was it, and boy, did it. 
Um, mate, what what do you think about Oppenheimer? Uh, man, I so I am a a fairly a, avowed Christopher Nolan fan. Um, with I think a, a little couple, bit more than me. Yeah, probably a little bit more than you. Uh, with a couple key exceptions that I'm that I'm out on that some of the the Nolan heads tend to be pretty high on. I'm I'm very anti Interstellar, um, in particular. Um, but but I've loved most of his stuff um, to varying degrees, while also being very conscious of some of the tropiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I think, when it was announced through the run up to it, ha- felt like it had the potential to be a synthesis of a lot of the best things mm-hmm. that he does. Right? It has the the historicism of a Dunkirk and the sort yep. of like gravitas of that. Um, it has the temporal leaps. Um, it has the potential for some really incredible visuals. Are, are um, we just calling a biopic temporal leaps now? Yeah, yeah, that's the, <laughs> the, the technical term. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the, the a new story term that for. covers multiple years <laughs> over yeah. its course. Um, nonlinearity is more, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, um, I thought that this was his, his best movie. Um, this is, as of right now, wow. the top of my Nolan wow. rankings. Um, I was pretty blown away and and saw this uh, in a... Another Screenzilla? Um, not a Screenzilla. Whoa. It was smaller than Screenzilla because Barbie had Screenzilla <laughs> camped out. Um, so this is in the smaller room. The uh, I want to say it's a 40-person room, maybe, okay. um, in, in our Vermont theater. Um, at noon on like a Sunday. Hell yeah. Um, and was absolutely demolished by it. I think that it's yeah. like a, a pretty triumphant um, achievement, certainly visually um, in terms of just what he does and how he's able to render like creativity mm-hmm. and uh, ingenuity. Um, and also it's, um, it's consideration for the weight of what it's showing and not just um, – being cavalier about like oh sick visual dude, um, I, it also is a a hallmark, you know, Nolan movie in that there's two women on three women on screen maybe through the entire movie um, who have speaking roles. You, you get some um, some sprinkled in women. Uh, yeah, toward, toward there's the... there's one woman they let be a scientist, which was a pretty big <laughs> deal. That was that was a nice moment. Um, uh, and it's and it's it's dumb in a lot of the ways that some Nolan movies are dumb in terms of it's like uh, heavy handedness, like the the poison apple shit and whatever. Um, yeah. But it just it just really knocked me over. Um, I was I was really blown away by it. What did you think? I really liked it. I thought that the first two or so hours, uh, specifically, kind of the middle chunk, were some of the best things that Nolan's done. Yeah. Um, I think that Dunkirk might be my favorite thing that he's done. So totally I was pretty fair. I was pretty happy to see him go back to the real world and to take on um a real uh topic. I, I am excited when when directors I like choose a biopic because I know it's not gonna just be a paint by numbers. Here is them from you know, birth to death. And, and if you have any concerns that that's what this is, it's not. Despite the fact that it is maybe a little bit more of a, um, uh, not birth to death, but but certainly a, like, it shows the arc of his yeah, experience. It, totally. But in a very interesting and novel way. Yeah, I mean, it 
it's so similar to how uh, Andrew Dominic just absolutely masterfully really nails together. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I love about blonde. this is how it reminded me of Blonde. <laughs> that was really what I. Yeah. Um, no, but genuinely, I, I thought this was quite good, um, and there were parts I do think were my favorite of Nolan. I the the third act, while I think is good, I don't think is nearly as good as the first two. When it loses that, um, those other time uh, timelines, yeah, I'm just a little less motivated by the commerce secretary being confirmed <laughs> by the U.S. Senate. As okay, like but the but will they I... won't they of, <laughs> of this? But what if the commerce secretary was Iron Man? Can yeah. I interest you more in it? Um, I totally get that. I know that's been like probably the the overarching critique of this, um, uh, of which this is not to say it's bad, and which is not no, no, to no, say totally. I disliked it, but it 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 kind of loses steam for me. Where- I, yeah, I totally get that. It for me, I think it it was sustained partially just because it's like it feels like such a deliberate downshift mm-hmm. into this very different vibe that. Um, there's there's like a, a sort of courtroom movie yeah. vibe that that it sort of shifts into um, that I, I was really engaged by and I 100 percent understand especially in a long movie like that like that not working for someone for me I think I was really engrossed in Downey's performance um, and I really liked the 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 uh, whatever the the conf- not the confirmation hearing what's the other the name of the other thing. Where they're checking his security clearance, yeah, yeah. Um, that that sort of like interrogation that they're doing. Um, I really liked the structure of that, and I thought it worked. I liked it a little bit more when it was like peppered in mm-hmm. across yeah, things exactly. rather than when it was, yeah. Um, I, I think but I, I think that plot device, as you said, is way better peppered in than when it's the total. focus of the whole thing. Yep, yep, and I totally get that. Um, but I, yeah, it it ultimately really worked for me, and I think the where it left me by the end of the movie. Um, uh, what I walked away with was sort of the overarching impact of it and the impact mm-hmm. of some of the the strongest moments, the most profound moments. And I think it, some of that is the callbacks that it does towards the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that is just, I think, what stood out the most in the fact that the the highs of this movie were so astronomically oh, yeah. high um, that I I left with those things more than I did with the like, and yeah, I could have used less of the confirmation hearings. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but I, I 100% get that as a as a, structural critique um yeah and, and i mean i want to think that keeps you at a distance from it i, w- I want to focus on the positive first because i think by and large i i think this is a, a successful movie i yeah. mean i think killing murphy's pretty fantastic he this he's man, like I'll, like he's a little empty in a good way in this it's where it's very yeah for sure where you're you know kind of how j robert oppenheimer feels but not fully and you kind of don't sense that he knows really what he wants and what he's thinking the whole time. And does he understand the gravity of what he's creating and what he's putting his whole life towards? Right. And I, not being a close personal friend of Oppie <laughs> directly, um, I have to imagine that a person of that level of brilliance and also involved in something that cataclysmic um, had to have that level of remove, right? You don't do this. 
or you're without. just a full psychopath. Right. If you are not, if you are not, yeah, exactly. If you are not a, a full on like world killer, you are, yeah. you have to be, uh, you are not able to destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right exactly. Someone can yeah, say yeah. to you mid sex. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, please save that for when you're reading it during coitus. <laughs> yeah. We'll, um, we'll get to that. Um, coming up. <laughs> um, yeah, so Killian Murphy, I was thinking about this before, like the idea of Killian Murphy as a leading man, because we've gotten flashes of that, right? We get that yeah. in um, 28 Days Later. We get that in Sunshine for the seven people who've seen Sunshine. Still haven't seen Sunshine. Casting. I need to. Oh, so good. You're going to hate the, the I mean, last the third of it also. I mean, the big thing is Peaky Blinders, <laughs> you know. Yes, right, exactly. I mean, that's that's been his big thing. And I think a lot of a lot of supporting roles and character acting things. And I think the thing about him is, one – perhaps the most like strikingly beautiful human I've ever seen. Just like mm-hmm. such a insane looking person. Um, and two, I think an unbelievably gifted actor, like just absolutely staggering chops on this dude. He's not perfect for everything as a leading man. So it's not so much that I wish that he had been cast in any number of movies mm-hmm. that have we have existed that I think he would be better in. That's not really how I feel as much as I wish Hollywood was weird enough to have made more movies that he would have been the perfect lead yeah. man for, if that makes sense. Because I love him as a lead. I love most of those movies that I just listed are some of my favorite movies. Like I think they're fantastic. And I wish that there were more movies like that that he would be perfect for. He would not be perfect, for example, as Ken. That would not fit, no. <laughs> right? Like, he he doesn't work in everything. He's a, he's a real sort of, like, acquired taste in a certain direction. Um, but when he fits, he is just... What he's capable of doing and those, those nuances of, like, creating a character who feels authentically brilliant, first of all. Like, yeah. I, I, at no point during this movie was like, I don't buy it. I don't think mm-hmm. he's smart enough. Totally. Um, and also... Uh, someone who you can care about but also think is as removed enough and is as much of a dick and is as, as monomaniacal as a person would have to be to make this happen, but not walk away from that movie thinking that he is an utterly worthless piece of shit to be discarded, but also not humanizing. You know, it's it's just this tightrope walk the whole time, and I think he pulls that off, and he's really essential to it. Totally. Um I, I thought he was pretty great. I do think, you know, it, it, it's a very minor point, but he very clearly, like, pulls the two women in this movie, but they never show him having any sort of game whatsoever. He's oh, just this sure. awkward guy, and it's like, well, of course they want to sleep with the brilliant J. Robert Oppenheimer. Right. That, that part was a little... Um, a little un- underwritten. No counterpoint. Look at those eyes. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, um, it does buy you a lot of goodwill there. But I, I, I thought it was quite good, and I thought that outside of the poison apple stuff, which you know did happen, but so, just yeah. it feels underwritten. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that the first two hours of this movie flow really well. Of starting the <clears throat> communist party ties and his interest in that field that's more akin to academia, his beginnings bringing um, theory into U.S. schools, how his Judaism and World War II 
influenced his decision to start the project and then the project starting in Los Alamos. I thought all that was like very well paced, very engaging and it bumping back and forth with a few timeline shifts was what it, it, it churned, it moved. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I also, I do want to focus in on that. The, especially the earlier portion, the, the sequence when he's in school, which does move fairly mm. rapidly. Um, and I like that they just use Killian Murphy. It's like, oh yeah, he doesn't eat and just smokes a bunch. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that checks out. Um, he, I, I think of Nolan as obviously a very sort of creative filmmaker in the sense that he does lots of weird shit. Um, that's not new, but I also think of him as a very cold filmmaker for a lot mm-hmm. of his stuff. Like it's very rare. Like usually, uh, bo- both in terms of the literal hues of his hashtag color palette um and, and just like it's very stark there's a there's a real sort of like um i don't know his, his stuff feels very sort of like like you think about inception in the world folding it's very architectural right it's you know it, it has like these sharp edges to it yeah i mean he, he's the anti which is why barbenheimer is so intriguing the anti gerwig where her her work is so warm and you can totally. you can feel all the characters within it Hidden is not. I mean, watch and, the prestige. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that being said, I weirdly thought this was his warmest movie, especially mm-hmm. in those early sequences, especially when you have those moments of those sort of like um, almost light show sequences where yeah. it's sort of like depicting his creativity and how he's visualizing some of the um, the the different sort of like um, phenomena. Uh, there was something about that that just projected this warmth out and this like um, consideration for and caring for and accounting of um, what that creative spark feels like, even within an academic context, which does feel so like squarely his world. Like I can't think of another movie of his that does that same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Even something like Interstellar, which probably is the closest in terms of its like warping of reality type stuff. Um, Inception a little bit too. Those are just so much more rigid. And this, there was this this vibrancy to what you were seeing visually depicted, and I think that uh, bleeds through, um, that I wouldn't have expected from a Nolan movie. And I think that's part of why I responded so much to it. I, I thought it was really effective and I thought it was really resonant in terms of just that idea of creativity and how that feels and how you can kind of visualize your own creativity or visualize the creativity mm-hmm. of the world around you. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. This this movie also has a fucking murderer's row of supporting characters. Sure um, the fuck does. Every, every single person, er, sorry, every single man that's ever yeah. existed. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, did anyone stand out to you? Did any of the supporting? Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the jump scare that was, um, uh, Casey Affleck's reveal in this, Mm -hmm. um, he is both extra textually and also just in, in terms of his performance in this so perfectly cast as this like, horrifying menace who emerges in the middle of the the film. Um, I didn't know he was in it. I had no idea what to expect. And you hear his voice first and it is like it. uh, Oh yeah. In the theater, I was like, is that fucking Casey Affleck? And it's haunting. And I I can't, you obviously can't disconnect that from all the other context around it. But like 
he is so perfect in that, and it was jarring. Um, so I thought that I, that was that was I, a standout in a number of different ways. I, I like David Krumholtz a lot. I David thought he Krumholtz was phenomenal yeah. as the warm one. Um, you know, giving Oppie some some oranges, always feeding and, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I thought Josh Hartnett was quite good. I was going to say we have a a, a, a real. I, I don't want to. I don't want to call it a game over. I don't want to pass the torch yet, but I do think that this is per, perchance our first competition. And I think Josh Hotnet has has is making a play at the Anthony Hopkins oh. belt. There's some real like aging into some real dad hotness here that I was I was really feeling. Um, yeah, and then you know you have Rami Malek. Kenneth yeah, pass. <laughs> that I didn't. Jason Clark. <laughs> when Rami Malek shows up, and Holden it's like, wow, did they really just bring him in for this bit role? And then he gets the fucking climactic speech, and that yeah. that is probably the lowest point of the movie for me. Well, uh, the lowest point of the movie for me will save to the awards. Um, is it? <laughs> the, no, 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 no. no, 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 no. <laughs> well, the lowest point for me was the atomic blast, and now, yeah. Um, I think. So I don't want to. I think we can get like very bogged down in this movie because it's it's super dense. Totally. Um, I think the two thing, the three things I want to talk about are the music, the the test itself. Yeah. And then does the movie earn its full runtime? And and my issues with the the last totally. You know, a little bit. I think we should go go to the. Uh, the test first, which I think is one of the his his best movie making I've ever seen out of Nolan. Absolutely, I, I think it's. I, I mean, I'm I'm also very high on Dunkirk um, as you are, and I think it's um, uh, that has some of the most staggering stuff I've seen him visually yeah. do. Um, this has that with an added gravitas that I some of which is just a consequence of what it's about, right? There's yeah. There's something that maybe if I was English and had some real, you know, like full-blooded British patriotism, I'd feel differently about Dunkirk. But there's just a different yep. gear that this allows you to get to. And, and this was um, your full-blooded, I can't wait to bomb. Yeah, uh, fucking, <laughs> oh, yeah, take that, New Mexico desert. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Trinity fucking test. travesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and lots of people were affected and blah, blah, um, There's the small choices that he makes right how he withheld the sound um the the way in mm. which he shows everybody preparing for it fucking uh benny uh, safty like benny safty with the sunscreen and uh quade with the like the, the windshield to yeah. block it out and like the interactions between the people and and just all those small nuances in the lead up to that it's one of those climaxes that is so um, you 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 know the entire movie is building to that, and it's so earned, and it is so uh, effective in its like the fact that it, it rises the tension, it rises the tension. You see everything mm. building to it. You I see mean, everything building it's, to it's it. a and countdown. It's, it's a countdown to it's an a little countdown, bomb. right? Exactly. Yeah. And then it's silent. Yeah. And it's just that flash. And it, I just think visually the way that he rendered it was was staggering. Yeah. 
Um, I thought that was absolutely fantastic, and especially in seventy millimeter was like IMAX was yeah. just like a, a humble brag. Un- That's fine, man. It's yeah. cool. It's fine. Yeah. Um, wasn't bad in not Screenzilla either. Um, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Um, the score is almost omnipresent for uh, a lot of the so movie, good. but yeah. uh, it's what Ludwig Göransson again. Yeah, Göransson just just absolutely manhandling the entire industry right now. Yeah. Uh, I, it'll be up for score. It might win. It, it should, deserves should be. It. Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. I really, I'm, I'm always impressed by his stuff. I'm always impressed by how fluid he is. He's mm-hmm. one of those, uh, you know, all, all the possible love and respect to a John Williams or a Zimmer or any of those people who are like, but the reason that, <laughs> yeah, but they can suck it. Um, and, what I love so far about him and, and the stuff that I've seen from him is that uh, despite the fact that you can oftentimes tell that it's him because of the projects he's taking on and stuff, um, he doesn't have a lot of the tropes yet. Uh, yeah. there, there's, a, there's a lot more versatility in a lot mm-hmm. of the work he does, but what does feel consistent is that like the, there's, a, there's a humanity to the music that he writes. It all feels lived in in this way um, that... Uh, adds another dimension to any of mm-hmm. the uh, movies that he's scoring. Um, I think it's true of Black Panther. I think it's true of his work on Tenet. I think it's true yeah. of his work on this in three insanely distinct ways. Um, he's done more than those movies, but yeah. but those being those three are big, sort of like yeah. key examples, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm always really excited whenever I hear he's going to be on something, and um, I, I think he was spectacular in this. Yeah. Um, one more thing before we get to the end. Um, I think we have to talk about the role of women in this movie. Um, and the, that's the whole conversation. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, what? Chris, I mean, Chris, Christopher Nolan hasn't been known uh, and is well-documented as not being able to write female characters in any way, shape, or form. And he sure hasn't learned. <laughs> no, I mean... I think that both Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh give good performances Absolutely. in this movie, as Marin Cotillard did before, and as um, once <laughs> as she did once in yeah. one Christopher yeah, Nolan yeah. movie. Um, but it's it's it is just a little tough every time to see them. You know, Emily Blunt gets her quote unquote triumphant scene, but it, yeah, it's not enough to when she talks sassy back to that man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then. The 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 Florence Pugh Gene Tatlock sex scene yeah. is just hot lady that they kill. Yeah, um, I thought that the in the room is at least kind of interesting. It's at least totally. killing for something. I thought I that the initial sex scene when they read Sanskrit to each other is one of the most laughable things I've that seen in a the movie theater in, in a hundred percent, a hundred percent the worst part of the movie and um, coming up, but. Certainly, the f- the funniest way to foreshadow that fucking that quote. I could not believe it. As soon as she's like, "Read me exactly what it says," I was losing it. It's it's so funny. Um, it yeah, it's just a little tough. You know, they they get some agency, but it's just not nearly enough. And it it's it's a problem with his movies. You know, he right. does it's, not know how to write a female character. He doesn't, and and. You have to wonder what, um, you know, if you look across his movies, like I, I guess, 
Interstellar probably features like characters with the female characters with the most agency, and even then they're pretty tethered to Matthew McConaughey's character by family. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or, I mean, like Anne Hathaway's character, you know, but being like very subservient to him on the mission. Um, I, I feel like like with something like this, I can imagine that the reality was that Emily Blunt's character was forced to sacrifice most of her agency and life to totally Oppenheimer. There has to be a way to render uh, that story that feels like it gives as much of a shit about Emily Blunt's experience as it does uh, Oppenheimer's perspective of her experience. Yeah. Cause that's what it always is, is that he's never been able to, uh, he's never been able to make a movie through any lens that isn't just a man's. Totally. Um, and and so whatever is happening with any female characters, however big a role they play in the narrative, it's always how he views them. He doesn't have the ability to step back mm-hmm. from his own experience yep. and sort of zoom out. And that sucks. Um, I, this being a film that on its face is centered around one person, and that mm-hmm. is a man – made it a slightly smaller complaint totally for me in the context of this movie when you view this movie in the constellation of his movies yes. it is yet another problem yeah i mean and, and i'm not trying to bring this up to like trash the movie down no it's no no, no but i think i noticed yeah and it and it needs to be named because it is like a it's it, it is insane that this is still happening you know yeah. it's like i mean it's he it, you would have to combine the two female characters from Interstellar and Elizabeth Debicki to get one whole female character out of all of his movies. Yes. That's like, that's, and that's nuts. No. Um, so get a screenwriting partner th- yep. at that point, you know? Um, I, I wanted, Oh, I'm I, sorry. I, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, Scarlett Johansson, who is a very <laughs> fully realized character in oh the prestige. <laughs> uh, I want to say one more, uh, positive thing before we move on to my like slight qualms at the end. Yeah. Um, I thought that the scene post Trinity test in the rally is incredible. One of the best scenes I've seen in a couple of years, the sound design, um, how they managed to mute out some sounds and elevate others uh, was, was really fantastic and really and showed his, yeah. his mental state at that point in, in a, show don't tell kind of way that I really appreciated. You uh-huh. know, you, you hear his words and it's all rah, rah. Let's hope the Japanese, you know, hear this kind of thing. And I, I thought it was really fantastic and, and will stick with me for a long time. I thought that scene was really, really phenomenal. Yep. I agree. Um, and then I think the end is, I don't think it's a, I think the end end is good. Yeah. I think that the last hour that focuses Mostly on Robert Downey Jr. and uh, his character as Louis Strauss getting confirmed as Commerce Secretary. While a good analogy for how Oppenheimer was treated after the test and the success just isn't as interesting as the rest of the movie. Yeah. And kind of just slows it down and like brings it to a point where I don't think is as interesting as it was. Yeah. 
I think that's totally fair. <laughs> I, I think that I was more caught up in the, I think that the performances through that, especially Downey's, I think is, is amazing. This is like easily the best work he's done since Iron Man, if not Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, for sure, like the most acting he's done. Oh, totally. Um, I thought he was quite uh, good. And, and I think he's really great. I think that there's some contrivances in that, like the, Alden Ehrenreich, who I think is good. Alden Ehrenreich character. If character is just like, that's, if you're that's the, the most sorkin motherfucker. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, Lewis, who could have possibly given him that file? It's, it's, it's just bad, <laughs> There's right? There's no fucking way. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, totally. Um, like those things, I, I think, just felt felt very contrived. Um, again, I, I think that what I was focusing on in those moments was able to kind of like, carry me through that but I completely agree that it's like not as strong as the other parts of the movie um I think I also just like tend to I think what I remember more about that chunk of the movie are the sequences in the um the security clearance hearings yeah, which I thought were, were were great um it, yeah and Jason Clark is a great a piece of shit oh yeah wonderful piece of shit he's great um so I thought he was quite good um it's I, I think the end is good. And the end goes back to him and Einstein. The talking. Einstein thing, which I, I will say I was really anxious about Einstein showing up just because I assumed that would be an immediate, like I'm totally thrown out of this movie. I mean, was he, he I thought, is treated I it as fun. kind of a jump scare once. Yeah. When he like comes out Einstein. behind the car. <laughs> Look <you're> like, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I thought, I thought the scenes by the lake were quite good. I did too. And I, and I thought that that, um, what that reveal was, the idea mm-hmm. that like uh, that Strauss's myopia made it impossible for him to conceive a world in which um, Oppie hadn't said something about him, yeah. that there yeah. was no way for him to conceive of that, and that that was the crux of like what part of why he hated yeah. this person so much, and the fact that he couldn't imagine a world in which it was actually about the world. Yeah, yeah. Um I think is really important and a really important messaging and I think that there's probably a way to like that's where it gets into the like okay, should this movie have been three and a half hours and you just got that full yeah. story like more of that? I think you could have done that. Um but I again, it works for me and I entirely understand it. And now. and I think the raindrops as bomb blasts works well. Yeah. Um and it ends on a great note. Um yeah, I, I think that he pulled off the ending and he pulled off a vast majority of this movie. Totally. Yep. Yeah. And certainly not a perfect film and and one that I I so far really love. I'm excited I'm actually really excited to see what it feels like on repeat viewings, seeing it outside of a theater and how it holds up there, like how the visuals hold up, all those I got a, um, I got another ticket to see it in IMAX again. Sick. Yeah, I would love not, to try and catch it. Um, Not till I the assume end. this will also be one that'll be repped, you know, multiple yeah. times. But um, I would love to see it in IMAX at some point. Yeah, not till the end of uh, end of August, but yeah, because I have to get my ticket a fucking month ahead of time for this. Jesus Christ, goddamn shit! Um, it's a good movie. Go see it. Highly recommend. Yeah, definitely see it. That and that and Barbie together, like movies Incredible. are back, baby. Yeah. We are now joined by my dearest friend in the world, Ivy. Thank you very much. He got it right. 
Ivy. What? What? Did you call me something different earlier? No. <laughs> Don't what, how am I already in the doghouse? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> I you're don't like how trouble. this went at all. Zach, you're in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, my God. That's got to be the fastest cold open someone's had just walking in. Oh, my fucking God. What did uh, I do to deserve this? Anyway, Ivy is here to talk about right. mission colon impossible hyphen dead reckoning <laughs> part one. Yippee. The seventh film in the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, a franchise that all of us here love. I think Nate the most, Ivy the second most, me the third most? Arguably, you are second. Uh, we might be competitive yeah. on it. I think we, we, might be we love different things. We love different... We have uh, different aspects that we look for. We, we have different rankings, I would assume. Yeah, um, we do. But we uh, do both... Similar. Like, Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay, we're in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, making enemies all over the place here. Uh, this movie comes after Mission Impossible Fallout, um, which is widely considered and correctly considered one of the best action movies to come out in the past 10, 20 years. Ever. Amazing. Um, a real triumph. And this is obviously the first of a two-part um, film uh, with Tom Cruise starring, doing Ethan Hunt, Bad shit, crazy stuff yet again. Uh, all of these movies kind of have uh, kind of have a formula, and this one's no different. Um, instead of a MacGuffin of a rabbit's foot, this time it's an AI. And well, ta- ta- the the MacGuffin is the is the, the key, the, the double the, key, the crucifix. Yeah, the double crucifix key. Yeah. This is a very Jesus-y movie. They really, like, there's, between that, it's pretty biblical. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like yeah. all of these Mission Impossible movies have a, a little bit of Jesus in them uh, oh, from time really? to time. Really? Wow. I guess I have to rewatch and notice that. Well, they, they I think more and more as, as Tom Well, well it's like a has, last savior kind of. Right, yeah, exactly. As he's near uh, death just every time they do yes, another one of these, okay. they've really started to lean into the, like, yeah, he's... Yes, Ethan yes. Hunt will die for our sins shit. Yeah. Sure. You know? So, I mean, simply, what do y'all think of this movie? That's a good question. So, <laughs> uh, I, we went and rewatched all the Mission Impossibles that matter, which means mean one, three, four, five, so and I, six. I rewatched all of them. Yeah. So I did Congratulations. the same. Good. Um, just prior to this. And came in with very high expectations. I, I would also add, we watched one, three, four, five, six, and then like a movie's length worth of that promo trailer of uh, Tom Cruise doing the cliff jump. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah. repeated enough times to take up the time of the movie. Came in with very high expectations. And I I don't want to speak for you. I was a little let down. I was um, very let down. This is, this is one of my least favorite of the Mission Impossibles, which was a bummer. Um, the bar for these movies is still very high. So the least favorite of one of the least favorites of the mission impossibles is still a movie that I enjoy. Um, but I, there was a lot that I, that just like didn't totally work for me or felt like sort of a facsimile of a previous version of it or, uh, uh, I don't know, didn't live up to the hype. And some of that I'm sure is coming off of fallout, which like, uh, on the strength of 
Henry Cavill's arm cocks alone uh, would have been a four and a half star Henry movie. Henry Cavill's arm cocks is quite Nate. a phrase. I, and I meant every word of it. <laughs> every time we get to that scene in the movie where he gets ready to punch someone, yeah. Nate is like, okay, get ready. Get ready, <laughs> Ivy. Get ready, Ivy. The best scene is coming. The whole the whole Barbie sequence of explaining yeah. the Godfather is me with Henry Cavill. Cavill Look at his arms. His arms. He's going to... He he's gonna. He gets so excited. And I'm like, wait, did I miss it? And he's like, yeah, let's rewind. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think that this movie was a big time letdown, unfortunately. And I'm such a fan. Um... It, for me, it was just so long. It was so long with really no um, real climac- climactic moments. Like, I, I just didn't feel like there was anything that I was like, that was really cool. And usually, like, that's what I look for in these movies, right? Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I, it was definitely my least favorite of the ones I've seen, and I don't remember... Mission Impossible number two. So yeah, I mean that one maybe. you can kind of just. It's definitely, it's definitely yeah. That one's <laughs> for the worst. worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, on the other side, I I like this quite a bit. Um, I was quite entertained throughout. Uh, I was really happy to see a big bud big budget blockbuster shoot on location, do real stunts, um. And have real set pieces that are are designed, you know, specifically the Rome chase sequence. I thought was, that was funny. stellar, really, easily, really well done. Yeah. Um, I easily the, the high point in the movie, and and one of the better things, like one of the funnier sequences in a long time, yeah. for sure. I, I thought the Dubai airport sequence or Abu Dhabi, I forget which one it was, um, was actually yeah. designed very well. It the kind of cat and mouse chase scene. Um, the big cliff jump slash train sequence is incredibly over the top and is almost like a Looney Tunes kind of sequence toward the end. <laughs> totally. uh, but I and thought the it was piano is strong. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, like you could have yeah. just had Acme written on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, totally. I I thought it was quite good. So this movie introduces Haley Atwell um, as one of the new stars. Uh, it also has Isai Morales as the big bad, and also uh, our boy Nate. The, you, the God you know Shea Wiggum? About? Is that the who we're God talking Shea about? Wiggum yeah. Comes in. Um, I don't know. So I thought that this was another good entry in the 4567 new Macquarie Brad Bird style of Mission Impossible movies. I think it is a little bit more of a homage to the first. There's a little bit more espionage, especially with the cold opening with the Russian sub and then the diplomatic meeting um, with, you know, Henry Zerny and, and the whole uh, U.S. military complex in that room. A lot of Dutch angles going on a in honor of the first A lot of one. Dutch angles, yeah. But I, I find my, my, myself at the end of this going, that was another fun Mission Impossible movie, and I'm happy mm. I went to it. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think, I guess, so I, I I agree on a lot of that. I loved the opening. I thought the, the, the opening was the, the best part of the, the movie. Yeah, that and the Rome chase were my two favorite yeah. sequences. Um, 
I loved, like, and that was also the, the moment that felt the most espionage-ish, but also, like, the most sort of novel within the franchise. Um, a lot of the stuff that It felt, also didn't have Ethan Hunt. Right, exactly, which I actually yeah. thought was really cool, and yeah. I wasn't used to seeing that. And um, I, I felt like a lot of the stuff that felt a little bit more sort of, like, tip of the cap to Mission Impossible 1, like a lot of those Dutch angles, a lot of that, you know, um, felt more like almost like Mission Impossible cosplay than they did, like, uh, like it didn't have any of the, like, it you, didn't have the same weirdness. Were you saying it, it put on its mask? And then yeah, uh, right, exactly, to... <laughs> exactly, yeah. But the eyes were still yeah, shock yeah. blue, and nobody gave a shit for some reason. Yeah, um, I, you know, I wanted. It, I, I think that, I think that Christopher McQuarrie is really good as a steward of this franchise, and clearly as the like the stand-in for uh, the the person who is facilitating whatever the insane Manchurian thing. To, yeah, right, exactly for Tom Cruise. Um, but I. I think what makes Mission Impossible 1 so great, which is, I think, the one that left the highest up the rankings on this rewatch for me, um, it's a movie that I always liked, but but this last time, really, I kind of got into it, is, like, it's it's the fact that De Palma is a fucking grimy weirdo. Mm-hmm. And, and that movie is, like, so slimy and so creepy and so, like, psychosexual the whole time. And this movie just had the Dutch angles. And it didn't really have that same, like, it didn't have the snappy dialogue in the same way. It didn't have the same, you know. So there was something always kind of keeping me at a distance from it. I think from early on because I felt like it was kind of nodding towards that but not fully actualizing it. Um, I also just felt like the actors were literally, like, bored. That's how I read them. As just, like, everybody who was in it to me felt like they didn't want to be there well, necessarily? Ilsa for sure didn't want to be there. And that was that was very clear based on her storyline. I know. And it was just like, it felt like a huge leap from the last movie where I felt like everyone was putting 100% of themselves into it. This one just felt really like kind of half-assed acting and like just sort of like, okay, I'm going to show up on set to show up on set and I'll go through the motions. That's how I felt. It, it made me really feel like I don't really want to get invested because I don't really feel like the people I'm watching are invested. And then, P.S., the movie is like seven hours long. So I don't want to sit here. This I need time. a nap. I need a nap. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, when is this going to end? I kept checking my phone. When is it? It's so long. Oh, and you're, I never, you're a phone checker in the movie? Uh, this movie? <laughs> and and uh, that's not typical for me with especially a Mission Impossible. Like, I am diehard Mission Impossible fan, and this just did not meet expectations. Huh. I don't know. I, like, I, I thought it was quite good. Like, I, I didn't have those feelings at all, <laughs> I, you know? <laughs> I I don't know. I I was pretty wrapped throughout. Um I think it it's pretty similar to all the other Mission Impossibles where it's, you know, intense opening, meet the new person, like getting the gang together, something goes wrong, meeting at a cool disco location somewhere, chase scene, 
you know, like I, I thought it was as structurally totally structurally, odd. but but let me also tell you the AI. Th- <laughs> let me t- <laughs> let me give you a little tell you the AI as the plot as the what's the thing like the, the plot, yeah, plot bad, device yeah. the big bad plot yeah. device no. Like it was just there was no We here clarity. are staunch supporters of artificial yeah. intelligence and let that be known by all the artificial intelligence that'll be learning from our Zoom meeting yeah. going I think forward. It, it I was think it's we're so, the good ones. We're on was, your side, AI. It was so half baked and misunderstood and like uh, what are you guys talking about? It's I like think it's just as dumb Googled? as all the other ones. No. I, I, here's what say, ones? No, here's what I'll say. I, I agree in that I, I agree that it is just as dumb as the other ones. Dis- However, agree. Okay. <laughs> However, I think that uh, a topic like AI demands a level of uh, intellectualism that there's a nuke. Does it? <laughs> or Oppenheimer what, what, aside? What, what about a uh, New World Order and uh, the decision for anarchy amongst <laughs> the world with uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, Fallout and the one before it. Oh, that guy, that weird guy. The guy got dunked oh, yeah. in the box. Yeah, that's yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah. But but that's but, but that's stupid in the sense that like oh they need to. Uh, it's one guy. It's one guy and with an nuke. opinion. And well, this is zero sh- guys. Exactly. But that's what I mean. <laughs> that's the problem. That's what the problem is. It's not. It's it's like some like really like one is the fewest guys. One is the <laughs> they fewest went guys. one fast. <laughs> this one was way too. It's like you guys googled. This, yeah, what does exactly. AI mean? <laughs> yes. And then you took the first they chat GPT. What is AI? And then they came up with a plot, and it's like this doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> you guys are not explaining it. And you, you, you didn't clear- get any of the self-determinationism uh, that comes with <laughs> the lack of choice and none of that. None of that came through. No, no, it was really bad. It I, was uh, really a bad plot. I don't and know. Maybe- I, no, I, like I, I, I'm not discounting any of what you're saying. I, I just found that as l- not an issue. Like I. For all of these Mission Impossible movies, I do find that their plots are like, oh, they're this person. This person yeah, wants to take stupid. over the world, and, and it's bad. So, and there's Tom a button. Cruise, and if you yeah. press it, it's bad. Of course, <laughs> yeah. So I was a but little. But at least it's a plot. I I just love that Tom Cruise is like, fuck artificial intelligence. I'm taking this down. I'm going to record stuff on film. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to die. And that's how I'm going to show it to the computers is I will die myself. I I think, and, and here's, here's what I'll say. I think there's totally a possibility that, uh, dead reckoning Two electric boogaloo comes out and is phenomenal and lands the plane. And that's great. Um, yeah, I think that what I needed for this, the, the, what held me back from this is a similar thing to what held me back with Rogue Nation, which is that I think that if uh, I don't need every aspect of Mission Impossible to be comprehensible or to be no. uh, well, good because yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> um, But if something's going to really push the boundaries of like lunacy and or idiocy and or like I need all the other things to be hitting right so I need you know like 
Ghost Protocol is one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen. But it has the Burj Khalifa. And that buys you a lot of fucking stars. Good point. And this didn't have a Burj Khalifa. And that's a really fucked up standard to hold something to because that's one of my favorite stunts in a movie ever. I I think Um, the Rome chase is is up there. I thought the the Rome chase chase is really good. good. The, The Rome chase was funny, but it wasn't a Tom Cruise action chase like it was humorous and if I was signing up to watch a comedy I'd be like this is on point for what I'm looking for the cliff jump didn't do it for you no No. it was such a letdown do you you think that it's because you saw it already in the promos 100% yes absolutely but if I hadn't seen that though I, it wouldn't have even clocked for me that that was a big moment. I'd be like, if I just saw it in the movie, and I wouldn't have been uh, like, that's I, so fucking cool. I don't know about that. I, 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 I maybe don't feel think differently I would. about that. I don't think but I, I would. do think that it literally was filmed in a better way yes. in, the, in the teaser trailer than it Much. was in the actual thing. The, and, and there was so much buildup to it that it felt like self-conscious. Um, I also... I don't want to discount the fact that this movie was made in the midst of COVID, and I know that that was like a huge production thing, and so I'm sure there's made famously some of the stuff that we're yeah right <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so it Famous. some of the stuff that we are maybe getting hung up on is a consequence of that. Some of the stuff that you are totally fine with is maybe stuff that like wouldn't have been an issue in another context, but it it. For me, there were just like enough things going wrong in enough different directions where like the the writing wasn't as snappy as it's been in other ones. Yeah. The stunts weren't as good as it's been in other ones. The plot was the same level of incomprehensible, but about a thing that I think needs a little bit more Definitely. Uh, nuance. It's a good point that you're making because it's like it, Zach thinks that these other films are like sixes, sevens, maybe fives, and yeah. to him. I'm a little higher. higher. Yeah. yeah, he. he You're likes. a little bit. You like him better? Okay. He likes, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I'd say the top of it were probably similar. The middle chunk, I think you're lower on what you consider the middle. Okay. Place. Well, yeah. he. Right. Let's just put it this way. He had less. He had. He had a lower expectation for it because mm-hmm. he does not love them quite as much. That's different. Yeah. I go in as maybe arguably the one who loves them the most. And I didn't like it the most because I was like, my expectations are so fucking high. Right, they're some of your favorite movies. Yeah, I, yeah. I so I understand why you're thinking like, okay, this was totally fine because it's on par, quote unquote, with the mm. others. Um, yeah, and, and I think part of the reason why I liked it so much is I've just watched so many, honestly, bad action movies. Outside of like John Wick 4, which I thought was quite good, like just a bunch of bad action movies recently that True. look like that look like shit that the action sequences aren't choreographed well i mean note, we are not doing guardians no on, no no i mean pod. Th- there are cha- uh, there are train sequences in this and indiana jones and i greatly preferred this train sequence um yeah greatly is a stretch but sure uh, oh, i i greatly preferred this um just because it, it felt real you know when i when yeah. i watched it i was like they are on a train filming this happen and it looked way better and felt way better and felt real and that that is something i really appreciated about this and all the other mission impossible movies that come before it because tom cruise has been so militant about this being a real um series Action. which i which right. i really love i think that also just raises a good point whenever you're dealing with franchise entertainment in this way right uh, and this is a a modern problem to a certain extent um 
in terms of the scope, right? We have six other movies to compare this to before you even get outside the boundaries of, like, before you start comparing this to Fast X, you are comparing this to six other Mission Impossible movies in a way that in the past that yeah. was not, you know, a reality, right? And I think there's a big difference between, or, or at least it is a different equation to say this versus other Mission Impossible movies versus this versus the scope of movies. I think yeah. it is very easy to look at this in the constellation of 2023 action movies mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, great action movie. Versus this in the constellation of Mission Impossible movies, I think totally. it's easier to be comparative in a way. So I think that that is probably a part of the calculus, right? 100%. If like, you know, um, but I, if like we're not trying to do a, you know, compare this to Extraction Two, like which you know better than it should be, but not the point. <laughs> um, should we talk about? Like the supporting characters, Haley Atwell, Rebecca yeah. Ferguson, and then the normal like Ving Rhames, who it just sits down. And- <laughs> that man sits so hard in this movie. Uh, Simon Pegg's always good. Vanessa Kirby is pretty hilarious. Vanessa Kirby's great. I love her. Vanessa Kirby playing Haley Atwell. Yeah, fantastic. So funny. Yes. Which is absolutely the best contrivance of any of the mask things is when you force a character to play yeah. another character. Yeah. Best yeah. thing about these movies. Totally. And then I mean, I really. Really thought that uh, Haley Atwell joined this this franchise like perfectly. Uh, yeah, yeah, I liked her a lot. I wish that you could have her and Rebecca Ferguson both in the franchise because Rebecca Ferguson is one woman like- at a time. Mate. We all know the rules. <laughs> is Rebecca Ferguson my favorite? Yeah, yeah, um, Ilsa. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know like what Ilsa is, you know, she's a disavowed, what, MI6 agent? Sure, yeah, why not? Yeah, but, yeah but, she's <laughs> like, like an ex-agent. Oh, I'm sorry, but we know what lots of other things in these yeah. movies are. No, 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 ex- exactly, no, that's what I'm saying, it's like, it's, it's part <laughs> yeah. of it where it's like, she's yeah, good, totally. but it's just is like, she? Yeah, but sure. she's good, but is she? <laughs> but now she's in the desert, oh! <laughs> um, yeah. I I thought Palm Clementif was great, I really yeah. liked her, Um and then, and, and then Shea there, Wiggum, the, my boy. Shea Wiggum, incredible. Just I, I w- thought what those a, two characters, the the FBI or sorry, the CIA, uh, just a, a just cuck in the Incredible. Yeah, he's so good. It's really, really great. He's probably the best. I mean, there's always a version of that, right? There's the French guy in, um, yeah. uh, or no, the Russian guy in um, in Ghost Protocol who does the exact same role. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and is quite funny, but this is like but the better version Wiggum? of that. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and then there's Isai Morales, <laughs> and the, that man is is he the villain? Perhaps one of the most attractive humans I've ever seen, and all the props to him for that. He's not good in this movie, and his character he's, is a a yeah, fat bad. big fat zero. He's like, bad. yeah. And I, I don't know who to blame for that, whether it's him or it's the construction of the character or the, like, the fact that he's, like, an AI avatar but also supposed to be a human with a backstory to Tom Cruise. But also, but just, like, I got nothing from him. That is, like, on a a Mission Impossible 2 level of, like, I don't give a shit about this person. Yeah, I I mean, he... He he wasn't the best in this. I will definitely give you that, is... That character is underbaked, but it's the front for the AI, which is the villain. And if you don't buy into the AI, then right. you're not going to buy into Isai. 
which I which I totally understand. Um, I think it's I think that's that's another uh, the I think the generous version of it is juries out right yep. depending on how they play it on the next one which I think is always true we talked about it with Spider Verse um, always true with a two parter um, mm-hmm. I didn't get anything from him in this one that made me really excited to see him in the next one no. I think it is totally possible that they find a way to make him more interesting they develop that backstory they develop the character but uh, this was just like uh, he felt like a a hot dude in a suit, you know. Yeah, he was hot though. Real, but good lord. Yeah. yeah. What an everyone man. in these movies are hot, especially Ving Rhames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Those hats. There was a <laughs> There was a moment when I turned to Nate and I was like, that guy has aged so well. About and Ving. he thought I was talking who did It was so the the camera shows uh Ving Rhames yeah, and then it cuts to Benji, <laughs> oh. and I or, or it must have been it the other way around. It was Benji, yeah. and then it was, and I think there was enough delay that by the time that Ivy turned to me and said that guy has aged so well, it went back. It to was Ving Rhames, just it a big like, old Ving Rhames face. His face. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, and it was this, like, I I love my wife, and I, I we're very happily married. And it's not that I would have divorced you over that, but it was probably the first time where I was like, okay, I get it. Like, it's, you know. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. <laughs> Gross. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, this is another, we, we talked about it, like you said, during the Spider-Verse pod, but it, it's another part one. This totally. one is yes. at least part one plastered front and center. But I did feel like it at least gave an ending that led to a part two rather than like a full bullshit cliffhanger. See, this is, I, I totally disagree. Not at all in what you're literally saying, like the literal content of what you're saying. I completely agree with what I disagree with is despite ending on a, because I do think this is an interesting pairing with, with, um, uh, I think you can do it with Dune. I think you can do it with spider verse. I think that despite ending on a cliffhanger, Spider-Verse felt like a much more complete, like a full meal. Like I got a full movie out of this. Yes. And this felt like, despite being very long and having an ending that like, it it ends in a place that you could just end a normal Mission Impossible movie, felt incomplete and insubstantial in a way that I I needed more. Whereas with Spider-Verse, I'm very excited about the next chapter. It narratively needs to go somewhere from there. But I felt like I got a full movie out of that. And I never totally felt like I got a full movie out of this. I felt like I got a couple of the things that I need from Mission Impossible. I was missing some of them, but I didn't get the like the full weight of one of these movies in the way that I wanted to. It felt like it was self-consciously a part one in a way that um, some other movies that we've seen like that aren't. Yes. And so that was that bugged me. For the longest movie on earth, <laughs> I feel like it never started. This movie was what is it? It was under it was, three hours. <laughs> it's, yeah. It was, I think, twelve minutes longer than Fallout. Yeah, right. But that, there you go. That's my exact (laughs) fucking point. Like, why was I sitting there, just uh, feeling like it was dragging? Because it felt like it it just, it never, it never began for me. Huh. I don't know. I I never felt that way. Mm, You're wrong. I love you, but 
<laughs> Different strokes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any other, what else do we have thinking about this? Um, shout out to Rob Delaney uh, for his, his scene in the, uh, when they're doing the, how did you describe it? The, um, the, the chapel that was the, <laughs> the, the Oval Office. The chapel that was the Oval Office. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the 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 scene with. Oh, shout out Carrie Elwes, who oh, I yeah. guess is in this movie. Wait, what did you guys think of the key? What did you I guys mean, think of the? It's, it's a it's a dumb MacGuffin. It's yeah, a, it's hysterical. Really Wait, dumb. You had a great point about the key, though. Well, what I said to Nate before this was like, what a stupid <laughs> MacGuffin. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Because. They could literally just go to Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> I got keys copied. Get a fucking key copied. All the time. Yeah. What the no, no, what no. are we talking about? Ivy, they explained it knows the key when knows the other they half. glow. Yeah, the little lights. I was like, wait a minute. What what you is this? Put do? A light bulb yeah. in your key? <laughs> you can make a human mask. Unbelievable. Oh, anyway, yeah, that's, I will. That's when I you get will, into the like, if you dig too deep, <laughs> I know. Really, I mean, just in general, the masks break everything. The, oh yeah, like, of course. I love it. It's Here's so the thing. Good. I will. It's like, 100- oh my god, the mask machine broke again. Yeah. <laughs> I will one hundred percent be watching the next one. Of course. Yeah. And I will go into it with very high expectations. Of course. Yeah. And I really hope that it can. Yeah. I bet it will be better than this one. For me, I bet it will be because it's going to have some. This next kind one will not conclusion. be. Yeah, it's going to be conclusive. It's yeah. not in the middle of a pandemic. No. There's a chance that Tom Cruise literally dies making it, which I don't know if that makes True. it better or worse, but certainly more show stopping. I definitely see it. Yeah, right. me too. <laughs> Here's the other thing this is, I don't want to be ageist because I love the idea that Tom Cruise is like this amazing, incredible. But Rebecca Ferguson was just too old. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise is this incredible physical actor, and I appreciate every part of that. And he's kind of slow. It's the first movie he's lost a little bit. He's lost a step. He was a 60 plus guy. Just wait till we talk about Indiana Jones and lost a step. Woo! (laughs) I I have to see it. I have to see it. But I mean, there's part of me that's like, that finds it really endearing. And I love that. Yeah. And I was I like, I do All like right, that he gets I his do. ass kicked a bunch. Like, that's, well, he that has is some, to. Well, exactly. Yeah. But but right. there are other franchises where the lead doesn't get his ass kicked or their ass kicked. Not John all. Wick. Not John Wick. No, and I know. And Which I is like why we that, love it. I liked that movie too. Good. But there are, you know, these ones where this movie, I think more and more showed that like Ethan is fallible and you know, totally. people die because of him and Definitely. he's not the savior kind of thing, which I appreciated setting Agreed. up him very much. So being yeah. the savior, <laughs> <coughs> nah, Luther's coming through, baby. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. He had to go somewhere. Very important for the last 30 minutes yeah. of this movie. Yeah. I know. Um, I will also say I saw this in IMAX at a fan event. I am sure that that helped. I'm oh, sure totally. we saw it in yeah. which uh, Screenzilla again, ch- championing the the great work of Screenzilla, but uh, we did see it in Screenzilla with a fairly empty theater. So uh, context is important. Totally yeah, true. Good point. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this new Mission Impossible? 
can't wait for the next one. Yeah, it's very excited. Mission Impossible is great. This is still better than like 90% of movies that exist. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ivy, thank you. And I Absolutely. swear to God, I don't know what I did at the start of this. <laughs> to I'll tell you, it's, it's the oh, exact yeah. opposite of what you did last time and also got in trouble for her. I forgot he was in trouble this whole time. Yeah, he's been in trouble this whole time. I Can't forget. win. Yeah. Yeah. Can't nope. win. All Ivy, right. Great to see you as always. Absolute uh, pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye. 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 Well, our movie's back. Because let's talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> um, I didn't like this movie all that much. I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, we're, we're flipping our Mission Impossible. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was horrendous. Yeah. I enjoyed stretches of it. I did not... I did not think as a whole it, A, kind of needed to exist. For sure. And B, there were parts of it I thought that were so shaggy, even for an Indiana Jones movie, where I found myself rolling my eyes a little bit um, from time to time. I think Harrison Ford is still a good actor, and when needed can pull those off. But when you're 80 years old and you're asked to, like, be an action star, it's going to be really hard to convince that without it looking... Muddy and CGIE and DAG and um, not what I want in a blockbuster. I I totally get that. However, what I would say is that the number one reason why I go to see an Indiana Jones movie above all else is to watch him punch Theme a song. Nazi in the face. Theme song, great. I want to see him punch a motherfucker. Yeah. And this dude still punches better than anyone I've mm-hmm. ever seen punch. Just that, the arm extension, yeah. the full, like, cheating the blow, he's got it. And that's all I needed to see. So as soon as I saw him punch one of the many Nazis he punches during but this movie, I was like, But as soon as you saw Tom Cruise run during in. Mission Impossible, you He were- doesn't <laughs> run as good. He can't run as good. It's different. Um yeah, I uh, uh, so I I really enjoyed this. I think I think there's probably some inversion of like how we felt about yeah. the Mission Impossible thing of like very low stakes. I came into this being like this movie's gonna fucking suck and had a blast. Really enjoyed it. Um, I love Indiana Jones movies. This is not Raiders. It is certainly not Last Crusade. Um, I think you could it, it probably, might be Crystal Skull. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, a movie I also enjoy. So fuck off. Um, but it's. I I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was totally lovely. I think it does a lot of the things that I need an Indiana Jones movie to do, such as killing Mutt Williams. I really <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, and, and there were totally shaggy things and totally things. And, and, and it 100% did not, you did not need to make a movie after, um, after, Crystal Skull, and you didn't need to make a movie after Last Crusade because they literally fucking rode off into the sunset, mm-hmm. you idiots. Um, but I can still be entertained by that. I don't. That's not gonna. That's not gonna kill the movie for me. Um, totally. I, I think if if we're gonna compare this to Mission Impossible, and there are some sequences in the movies, especially chase scenes, uh, sure, or yeah, yeah, train scenes, total parallels, and, yeah, and um, chase scenes. 
I just found that the movie making of Mission Impossible is way more dynamic and way more interesting to me than this kind of CGI'd, a little muddy, a little um, over-affected kind of style. And I and I am a little bumped off by that as a whole, which did not happen during Raiders or during Crusade. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the and, CGI in Raiders yeah. is really very nuanced. But it's a big thing where if, if it's totally. this adventure movie and I feel that I can see that all of it's computer generated, I'm just a, a little sure. bit pulled back by that. So, so I think I mean it, it's it's impossible to not talk about this movie without mentioning that this is the first Indiana Jones movie that wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg. So right, right out the gate, you're going like, okay, let's take the most genius level, like action adventure filmmaker of all time, yep, and pick anyone else. Yep. He's off the board. Pick anyone else. So there's no way it's not a downgrade. That doesn't mean don't judge it based on that downgrade. But like, of course it's not going to be as good. There were some aspects of it that I thought, um, because the style in Indiana Jones is so acutely hammy, mm-hmm. I thought there were moments when Mangold could kind of like cop Spielberg's style, and it worked because it is so over the top to begin with. Um, oftentimes, like married with the musical cues and stuff like yeah. that, like when they're all jumping the music off still the boat, music still rips. It's great. Um, but I, I totally, I, I totally get that. Um, I, I think that inherently, that like the CGIification of movies, I mean, pulls you away from what is the best thing about. It, it's the de aging for the full first half an hour, twenty minutes. That train sequence is the, so the long. Biggest, the biggest problem with that, which again, I love Harrison Ford. I love. I like the de aging technology has gotten better. That's cool. Like it was less distracting on the whole than I've seen it in some other situations. But we also, in this very franchise, have a better example of using a younger actor to play a younger version of, like, the River Phoenix sequence is one of the best parts of Last Crusade. And the idea, and I understand you're playing a version of it. It doesn't fucking matter. We know it's not real. We're at the movies. It, who cares? Get a different actor. And you can do it. And I know it fucked up I know the voice, the voice is doesn't work so hard, and it, it just just get a different actor. It would have been fine. Um, yeah, it you know again, I was fine with it, but it it I I would rather them. That's the type of thing where I would rather them own the fact that it's a movie rather than strive for realism by going uncanny valley with it. You know, yeah. it just it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it feels unnecessary. Um, should we talk totally. about Phoebe Waller Bridge? Yeah. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and I loved Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this movie. I thought she worked so well, um, especially compared to some of his previous Mm -hmm. co-stars. I really liked – I thought that she um, had the right level of snark and charm. um, She clearly wrote a lot of her own lines. uh, Yeah, very much so. It was very obvious. Um, Yeah, I I, I thought she fit really well. Her sidekick – was kind of weird and didn't really make any sense. And I, I was going to bring that up. Uh, Teddy is... Sure. Couldn't have told you that name. If you had a fucking gun to my head, yeah. no chance I was telling you that name. It There was... It, he flew a plane? Was, what the hell was that? Yeah, I don't know if it was too much writing or not enough writing, but it was one of those. It, it, it felt like a vestige where it mm-hmm. was either underdeveloped or, or cut from. Right. There was probably, a, there, there, I bet you there's a version of this movie 
where they're like, we need to do a better version of short round. And then they're like, yeah. no, we're just going to do short round. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge was quite good. Uh, I her Her character meshes pretty well, but not perfectly into the world. I think as a character herself, she was very good. And the quippy sidekick is always very fun. Yeah. Um, she had just, she had good Marion energy without yeah. it being a sexual thing, which is great. Totally. Um, I <laughs> Nazis as the bad guys is always funny. It's like, oh, this this evil professor is showing up in Act One, who you know yeah. you've obviously seen in the first train sequence, but this guy's a fucking Nazi. You can't, of course, you, you can't see this guy's a Nazi. Like everyone in the world, like that guy. Well. Yeah. I, so to be fair, I think that I think that the implication there, which they've done in past things, is that uh, this is playing with the like Nazis being repatriated, or uh, yeah, you yeah. know where, where they get kind of pulled in, and so you have uh, Nazis who are sort of like Nazi scientists who are fueling American achievement, mm-hmm. um, and that that then obviously like breaking and becoming inverted partway through. Um, but that was how I read that. I, I didn't read that as like people were shocked he was a yeah. Nazi. I read that as like, oh, he's obviously an ex-Nazi who like it's the the fucking Arnim Zola of uh, of the MCU. It's the same yeah. shit. Yeah, it's, or uh, real life. <laughs> I so speaking of MacGuffins, we we talked about the the crucifix, the Dial of Destiny, the Dial of Destiny. Um, it it feels like. The Indiana Jones has a uh, has a problem where it has to get bigger, it has to get weirder, it has to get like more powerful. And yeah. when Last Crusade is literally the cup of Christ, and then it goes I to mean, aliens. And yeah, then it, it was goes Ark to, of the Covenant, and yeah. then it was co- you know we can skip over Temple of Doom because that's yeah. just its own thing. But but yeah, like I so I was thinking about this with with why this felt different than it doesn't feel different than crystal skull. I think if anything, it actually feels like a little bit more grounded than crystal skull, which is funny. I, I, um, I think, yeah. And I, and I don't connect with either crystal skull or sure. dial of destiny. Totally. Um, I think that, um, I was trying to think about why, wh- what about this didn't work as well for me as, as one of those other two, because initially I was like, well, this is so unrealistic. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> eternal life and ghosts out of the Ark of the Covenant. Like, it's not like Indiana Jones has ever been grounded. Grounded. Yeah, no, not at all. The difference is that the magic that... uh, You never really lived in the magic. The magic was a climax and usually one that goes differently than people expect, and then it's done. It's usually like a sequence, right? They open the Ark of the Covenant and the, the fucking... Ghosts fly out and yeah. bomb everybody and whatever. Or the guy drinks the wrong cup and melts. Um, S- fucking and, scarred me as a child. Absolutely rips. That is just yeah. the, the sickest scene of all time. Um, you don't usually get an extended sequence of the magic actually happening. Yeah. And with both this and the Crystal Skull, you live in the unreality unreal- for longer Mm-hmm. And that I think just inherently makes the movie a little harder to latch onto in a way that I uh, it, like it throws me out just a little bit yeah. more. If what happened was the like they go, they're piloting the plane, they have the not to backseat pilot 
the fucking Indiana Jones, but like they go through the rift in time and like it's it's a brief thing and then it's done. Yeah. Or like they go through the rift in time, they realize that it's the wrong place and the plane crashes and that's it. Cool. Right? But it's the fact that they then have a whole sequence where they're like with Archimedes. <laughs> And talk to him. They have and an extended conversation with And that's Archimedes. where it's like, I didn't need that. That's where, where, where Harrison Ford is like, I need to be here. This is my place. Here's what I'll say. The idea that had they ended there, the idea that um, the ending for Indiana Jones is him ending up in the past. I actually don't hate that as a, as a concept. The fact that they cop out on it is kind of a bummer. And if they were I, I thought cop it out been on it, pretty lame if they had just put him in the past. I think I'll, it would have been I'll fine. Be but it but I uh, but I I think that if they weren't gonna just do that, if it wasn't gonna be like the decision wasn't gonna be them in the plane and he's like, No, I have to go or whatever, and then they're they're there, um, then I think it needed to be a shorter thing. I think that that needed to be like a moment, not a sequence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of fell out of it as I got toward the end, and it and it spiraled even more. Yeah. Um, you didn't like that that brief, sweet moment when we thought that in order to stop the Nazis, he was going to have to save Hitler? <laughs> yeah. That was, I have never gotten more excited about the hole that a movie was about to <laughs> dig itself into than when it's revealed that Mads Mikkelsen's master plan as a Nazi was to not kill, to, uh, was to kill, was was to to kill, kill Hitler. Yeah. And so Indiana Jones appears to be facing Because Hitler wasn't of, evil enough. Right. So he has the choice for a very brief moment before they end up in the wrong place by jumping through time where you think that he is going to have to stop Mads Mikkelsen from killing Hitler, and that's fucking sick. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's a bizarre movie. I don't know. I as far as like the blockbusters of this year, this one felt additional. You know, I I didn't need it. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, but I watched it and I was like, all right, that was it. I don't need I to think about it again. Totally get that. Yeah, or, or, I, I, it does. It it feels the slightest yeah. of the of the four that we've talked about. Um, I liked it more than Mission Impossible, in spite of that slightness, um, because I felt like it it did what it needed to do well enough. Whereas Mission Impossible, I had like more critiques of. Um, mm-hmm. But I totally agree that it's just like it was the least movie that needed to happen. Yeah, yeah, it it was fine, but like. Harrison Ford got yet another send off for yeah Indiana Jones. He got Rack to be shirtless. Got to be shirtless. Got a a sweet little callback with uh, Marion Ravenwood, who can still get it. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, we didn't say Mads Mikkelsen yet, but he was. I said Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, because remember how he was going to try and kill Hitler, and oh yeah, then they were going to have to stop him. That's right. That's right. We also didn't say Antonio Banderas, who once Coming again up. Coming caught. Up. <laughs> Coming up. Uh, yeah, it's fine. This movie's fine. Yeah. Should we? Uh, Probably should we shouldn't have debuted at Cannes. <laughs> that's that my takeaway. A, that's a, a fucking choice. 
That is a goddamn choice. And that backfired so hard. Big time. Um, should we do our awards? Let's hit them. Uh, the Bob Odenkirk Award. I was going to say wait for it because it's Antonio Banderas. That's, that, that is definitely, it's one of the two yeah, he, I think, he, that you can the, do. Yeah, the other one I have for a different category. Uh, is that Gary Oldman as Harry Truman? No. Okay, because that is that is certainly who, who just calls Oppenheimer a little bitch. And a then, little bitch. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it, it it's that scene is. I I think it it, it genuinely happened. Like there there are accounts totally. of Truman saying that, yeah. but it, it's still very funny. That so it's funny, just like thrown in the middle of that movie. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, who is you? Who is your Lakeith Stanfield Award or the actor that keeps showing up in movies that we do? I went with our dude Shea Wiggum. Um, we got Shea Wiggum in Wolf of Wall Street. He's also in Spider Verse. It's a it's a cop hat trick, which is a shame. Um, but but he kills it in all of them. <laughs> I mean, he has some of the most cop energy. Oh, yeah, real real cop vibes. He was also in. I mean, if you go back to our Lotties episodes, he's in Take Shelter. He's great in Take Shelter. Um, uh, a couple other movies. What was I thinking? Of? Um, yeah, he pops up in everything. Yeah. Um I had our boy Josh Hartnett for Virgin Suicide and Black Hawk oh, Down. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Through his two movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he earned um, them. I'll, also shout out to um uh two dimensional travel sequences uh in Ooh. this and um uh Bo's Bo Afraid. Afraid. Yeah. Uh, in in Bar- Barbie and Bo's Afraid. Amazing. Um, who is your Dom Cobb slash Harge Aired slash Jame Gum Award for the uh, stupidest name in a movie? Coming up, The Entity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's pretty good. I had a Zola Mitsopolis. Oh, yes. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is just outstanding, which is Frederick Schmidt, who is uh, Vanessa Kirby's brother slash bodyguard <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 really a choice. Um, the Frank Booth Very Chill Guy Award. This one I'm giving to Casey Affleck as Boris Posh totally in, in Oppenheimer, who look who is the most Frank Booth out of a character I've seen in a long time. You He's know, got those I, like I just did a bunch of whippets and I'm about to <laughs> fuck and kill someone at the same time. I think that's I think that's totally fair. I think uh, you could also do the entity again for mm-hmm. this one. Um, you could also do nuclear annihilation writ large. Yep. I think you could also do um, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. However, um, I am going to be giving this award to another Oppenheimer contender, um, uh, which is Jack Quaid for celebrating the literal breaking of the world with a bongo solo. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> As a drummer, did you feel attacked? Yeah, personally. Not the first time this yeah. round. Oh my god! Yeah, now I I think that's another one that was like in the text but isn't explained in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in American Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they totally. just like don't say anything and it's just yeah, like it's just, what the what the fuck is this? Playing the bongos. Yeah, <laughs> we all uh, know that guy. <laughs> it's you, Nate. It's yeah, right. you. <laughs> um. We have the Dutch Boy or Geostorm Award for the weirdest plot point. Uh, Nate, what do you got? The Entity. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, 
Yeah, that one's uh, pretty self-explanatory. I have in Indiana Jones. Um, yes. <laughs> so when, many things. When uh, Mads Mikkelsen gets tricked by the false tr- uh, translation of the ruin. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then gets blown up on the boat and, and you know, they get away. And then he just takes <laughs> binoculars <laughs> and just looks at them. And that's how they're he going it out. west, not east. And it's it's nothing more than oh, there they go. <laughs> it's it's just he points at them. That's it. It makes no fucking sense. It's such, I also it's such an end around for no reason. <laughs> I think another um another one from that uh, movie that that movie does not really go to any lengths to explain. The fissures in time, or how the dial, yep. te- like they, they don't really give any fucks about that, which I'm but, fine with. Yeah, totally cool. However, the reveal when they're in the plane, where all of a sudden Harrison Ford goes continental oh, drift. That—that <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is. Uh, we might have to add that. The Dutch boy slash geostorm <laughs> slash, slash continental, continental drift. drift award. <laughs> Oh, really good. It's it's truly incredible. Um, what is your Nate? What is your three p.m. triple shot of Espelon that pins? What are we doing here, Ward? Or the thing you found uh, <laughs> yourself really questioning about the filmmaking of one of these? So we we uh, we already mentioned this before. I have to assume that whenever it was that Christopher Nolan. Uh, made the decision that the way that he would foreshadow arguably the most famous Robert J. Oppenheimer quote of all time, um, he must have had that realization after a 3 p.m. triple shot of Espelone at Pins um, because his decision was in the middle of sex reading Sanskrit no, 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 out of a it's, book. It's even better. She pauses sex. Pauses sex to go get a book. To go get a book. And then she gives it to him. It's like, can you read this? And he goes, yes. And she goes, read it for me. And then he goes, I have become death destroyer of worlds. No, he's and, oh, he, does she he starts trans. Yeah, no, he starts translating like like doing a like yeah. you know a a, a a um sort of like meaning translation. And she goes, no, read it exactly. <laughs> and then he says, I have become on. Death. Grabs him and slides him inside her, and then is just like, "Yeah, now this is it. It's fucking <gasps> wild." Oh, gotta be one of the craziest things. What I love is like all the heat that the movie was getting beforehand. I mean, all the heat, fucking the the whatever weird yeah. crazy subset of Twitter about they, like the age difference and yeah. not the fact that like he reads, "I am become death destroyer of worlds" while fucking her in Sanskrit. Insane. It's it's wild. I, I have another thing from Oppenheimer, um, and I texted you about this so you know what it is. Um, it's in the hearing when uh, – it, it's, it's at the end of the hearing when they find out that he didn't get the votes and Louis Strauss <laughs> is yeah. not going to be Commerce Secretary. And Alden Ehrenreich goes – yeah, it's this new young senator who's trying to make a name for himself. That was so Kennedy. fucking funny. <laughs> John, John F. F. Kennedy. Kennedy. Like, he's a fucking 
like Avenger appearing in the next installment. Like what the actual? Yeah, JFK will appear in <laughs> John F. Kennedy will yeah. return. Yeah. Oh my god. It was like he couldn't help himself. Nolan could not help himself. Yeah. Uh and then the for the love of the god, hide that doll award for the thing you find uh yourself screaming at the screen. Um, we usually just do one per movie. So, uh, Nate, what do you got? <laughs> well, I think we just, we did one of mine already, which is <laughs> don't read Sanskrit to me mid coitus. That, that's, that's my yeah. probably number one from, from Oppenheimer. I, I had a similar for Oppenheimer. Um, for the love of God, don't become death destroyer yeah. of worlds. Um, I had, for the love of God, Boyd Holbrook is obviously a Nazi in everything he's ever been in. He's either a Nazi or a white supremacist. It's Boyd Holbrook. He's a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For Indy, I had, uh, if by some chance or fluke you are lucky enough to marry Marion Ravenwood, for the love of God, stop fucking it up. Yeah. Uh, For Barbie, I said... Uh, stop calling me out so specifically for my tendency to talk about Stephen Malcolmus versus Lou Reed and their impact on the indie music scene. Uh, I had for Barbie, for the love of God, go to the gynecologist. <laughs> but they don't, they're, they're smooth down there. They even said I know, it. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and then for Mission Impossible, I had for the love of God, it is Obviously, Haley Atwell in the mask. Every single time. It is obviously Haley Atwell in the mask. The eyes do not match. The body is so different from, from Vanessa Kirby. Like, it, it, it's a mask. It's not a bodysuit. Like, <laughs> Vanessa Kirby's like seven feet tall. Haley Atwell's like 5'1". Like, they're, they're not the same person. Um, I had... For the love of God, screen Tom Cruise for CTE. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's, he's going to run himself into the ground. Yep. And I'm here for it. Yep. <laughs> Which is probably not the best thing to say. Uh, should we go into F. Gary Gray? Yes, we should. Which is just fuck, Mary kill, but for the director, F. Gary Gray. That's great. Uh, Nate, what do you got? I have F Barbie Gray Oppie and uh, sorry uh, F Barbie Gary Oppie and Gray MI7. Yeah, don't get this confused. Yeah, sorry. How uh, could I, I possibly? I have F Mission Impossible because I I think those set pieces are those specific moments are incredible. I have Gary Barbie and I have Gray Indiana Jones. Fair enough. No law-abiding citizen this round. No. Nope, certainly not. And that's it. We watched the movies during the summer. We did. Speaking of which. Yeah. Uh, our next episode is going to be our endless summer. Hell yeah. We're going to be uh, watching three movies that kind of embody the doldrums and the banality that is summer. That's right. So we will be watching uh, 1986's Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner, 1988's Mystic Pizza, directed by Donald Petrie, and 2009's Adventureland, directed by Greg Matola. It'll be great. Um, I'm sure it'll be our highest listened to episode yet. I can't imagine there's any. Give us Mystic Pizza. (laughs) 
yeah, perfect. This was great. I, I am happy that good movies are back at the cinema. Hell yeah, for now. And by the time this comes out, that'll be over. <laughs> uh, we're so fucked. We yep. are so fucked. Um, hey, writers and actors, please. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, we have become death. Destroyer of podcasts. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Have a good night. Cue Rob Thomas. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>